from Los Angeles, California. This is The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny. This is a casual conversation between two friends and colleagues taking serious topics not so seriously. This podcast contains strong language and is intended for mature audiences. It is for entertainment purposes only. Enjoy. Music is a wonder drug ingested through our ears. Studies show that listening to music can reduce heart rate, blood pressure, adrenaline, and cortisol levels, and we know that listening to and creating music can improve symptoms and reduce damage done by stroke, dementia, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's. What we listen to can reduce depression, anxiety, chronic pain, and stress levels while boosting positive moods, immune functioning, cognitive skills, empathy, and community. Most of us have experienced the power music has to heal us and propel us through those difficult times in our lives. Some of us feel very strongly that we would literally die without it. So maybe it's not surprising then that music is proving itself a powerful tool in addiction treatment and trauma recovery. According to the National Institute of Drug Abuse, there are over 14,500 addiction centers in the U.S. Yet, more than 90% of people with substance abuse and addiction problems say no, no, no to going to rehab. What if someone's recovery prospects could be boosted by just picking up a guitar or singing a song? In this episode, we're looking at the relationship between music and healing through the life and work of our guest, Sonny Mayo, who brought along his friend Jess visiting from Australia. Sonny is a part of Rock to Recovery, a nonprofit organization of professional musicians founded in 2012 by guitarist Wesley Gear. From Malibu to San Diego, these magical rockers use their skills and experiences to form bands, write songs, and rock out with fellow life travelers struggling to get and stay sober at over 60 addiction treatment facilities in Southern California. Enjoy the bright light that is Sunny Mayo, everyone. Let's do this. When I came in this one particular day, Jenny and I was, would always have awesome passing conversation, Aww. but Jenny was sitting outside of the room doing group notes. And I had literally just, like, I don't know if it was the anniversaries. I went on an Amy kick. Yeah. Amy Winehouse. There was something oh, going on. Did you see the documentary? Absolutely. It's on the theater. Yeah. There was That's something true. in my soul that was moving me toward Amy more. And so she uh, was in my everything. And so one morning, that morning, uh, my session wasn't until 10. So I got up and I'm like, learning Back to Black. You know the song Back to Black? Uh, on the ACDC. That's back, in black. That's back in black. Oh, yes, no. As opposed don't. to back to black. No, we don't. It's this beautiful, sad um, song, Amy Winehouse song, and uh, and so I learned it, and it's really simple, um, but beautiful. And so I was like, I'm gonna. And so what I do, and I guess I could teach, I guess I could share this in the interview. What I do is, is I, I I write an original song with people, but when it comes to music, the chord progressions, there's four chords that you use, and you can do any variation of them in any key. But if you think about pop music or any whatever, four chords is all it takes to write a chorus. Any Adele song, any Justin Timberlake song, any four chords. So I started, I was like, I'm just gonna give them these four chords. I'm just gonna go, hey girls or ladies, here. And I started going, playing the song. And Jenny like walks in, we only say goodbye. And I start singing the song. And I was like, there it is. And somebody, it was before our friend that sang with you came in. She wasn't in yet. And so, one of the ladies was like, can we do that? Can we do that song? Aww. And I was like, it would seem so. It would seem like we're going to do that. Aww. So we started to do it. And then another client came in who was in therapy, I believe, for 15 minutes or whatever for the beginning. She came in. And this is a woman who would sing 
for me, if you will. I'd give her lyrics, and but it was very tentative, and she was nervous about it. I didn't find her voice, but then she comes in, and she goes, Amy Winehouse is my favorite singer. Um, and I was like, yes. And I had another <laughs> microphone, so Jenny and no. she had a microphone. Oh, and they sat in the same chair, yeah. and they went back and forth and harmonized with each other, and we did the song. And I was like, I'm in heaven. Just the chord progression. Like, is that what you're saying? She said, huh? Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, all Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah, it was totally Scooby-Doo. She literally came in like it was a, like it was a musical. <laughs> we only say goodbye in words. And I'm like, all right, see ya. And he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, you, do you have another session coming up? No. Do you mind sticking around? Yeah, she was all, I don't. It was so much It was fun. fantastic. Right. Revolution. I love it. <laughs> the revolution will be televised. Will be podcast. Will be podcast. <laughs> it yep. is. It really reaches a lot of you know people who need to hear it. <laughs> we were talking yesterday about how just we were talking about all the you know subtle differences of American and Australian culture, or whatever. And she said, you know, you guys tend to be a little more colorful with describing things, and yeah. commenting. You are like we're just really lazy. We just <laughs> oh, we, we. Could we, you give we, me an example? Of like maybe something that like the conversation we had a conversation with a friend of mine who called while we were driving to Malibu. Oh, and, yeah. And, right. and Jess was listening to the way we were talking, and I was this is a guy I've been sponsoring for almost ten years. He just yeah. he was just ordained as a rabbi. He just moved to uh, I sponsor a rabbi. He, the rabbi calls me and goes, "I need help," and I go, <laughs> "Okay, course. rabbi, what's yes. up?" We call each other. He, I'm like, "You're my rabbi." He's like, "You're my rabbi." Oh. It's so beautiful. I'm like, "What? Really?" I'm like, it's weird and rad. And so he, he, I was, I talked to him all, all the time driving to Malibu, like, of many sessions in Malibu. So he's like, uh, yeah, he calls me and I said, yeah, I'm driving to, uh, on the PCH where I tend to actually be driving many times during our conversations. And so later she's like, yeah, we would have just been like, hey man, hey, what's man? up? Yeah, driving on PCH. What are you up to? Yeah, yeah just cruising. Really out. Cruising. Yeah, what's up? You know. What are you doing? Going to the beach. Oh, cool. sweet. Yeah, I'll chat sweet. to you later. Uh -huh. And that's like the extent of the conversation. That's funny. But like, you still have that same connection, but it's like, just we're boring. just lazy. It's like we can't be bothered really saying much. I not, can't be not bothered myself, to not, say so. not myself, but I in guess general. in general, yeah. There's more. You, I find Americans are more descriptive when they talk. And that's an interesting thing, and we can also... Are we recording? Yeah. Because <clears throat> I'm just thinking about just culturally in the world of recovery, whether it's music or AA meetings or whatever, you know, that, that cultural, uh, you know, diversity, the, the beautiful way. It's like, how would a meeting be in Hollywood versus in, you know, Australia I could tell or you. Africa? Yeah, please. Okay, great. I absolutely... I, can't, yeah. I haven't been to Africa, but I've absolutely been to many meetings in Australia. And... The way that she described that communication, the laid back, kick back, is it like that? Mm, I didn't necessarily notice that because we were speaking the language of the heart. Uh-huh. We were talking AA. Yeah, yeah. But right. one of my favorite AA meetings I've ever been to was in uh, Sydney, Australia. It's on the rocks. Do you know the rocks? Mm. So it's near the opera house, the kind of touristy section, which is also beautiful. Mm. But it's an area called the rocks, which is where, uh, allegedly, if my Australian history is correct, Captain Cook actually landed there. Wow. Right? And that's and he's, he was kind of a jackass. Like everyone's all <laughs> Captain Cook, but he was a white man that killed brown people, ultimately, and enslaved brown people, just like 
whatever always happens uh-huh. right. uh so explorers were yeah hey yeah they discovered something they discovered a place where there were already people right how was that a discovery right exactly. <laughs> there were people there already that were trading and had little roads and stuff but you discovered it okay so we can go on to that another day but um that's the first place they started to settle Mm. was the rocks because it was it's on this big granite slab so it was a solid foundation mm-hmm. solid as a rock so this meeting with which actually a guy named Keith you <clears throat> you know you can spell the last name out if you want to told me about in 2008 and he said you have to go to this meeting it's a 7 a.m. Uh, in Sydney on the rocks uh, and you'll love it it's called uh, it's the G'day Cafe go figure G'day. Ah. So I did a show, I was playing in a band called Seven Dust, and I did a show with the opening for Ozzy Osbourne the night before, and I woke up at 6 a.m. the next morning, and I walked, I know Sydney relatively well, that area, because I've been there a few times, so I walked to this meeting, and at 6.30 in the morning, I'm like, I'm the one that's hardcore, I'm all these motherfuckers, excuse my friend, these guys in my band, they're all passed out, they probably just went to bed, they were up drinking all night, they were inside a bar, which every bar in, in every country is the same. It's just inside yeah. walls. You're just inside of walls with liquor yeah. and booze or whatever you're smoking, whatever you're doing. You're just inside of walls with different people, people that speak different languages or different culture. But you're not actually getting any culture by drinking in a bar. You yeah. can go, hey, I drank there, but I don't really know what, I don't know what happened afterward. I'm like, I'm the hardcore motherfucker. Because I'm up at 6.30 in the morning, walk into a meeting. I go to this meeting. It's in the basement of this ca- uh, cafe, very cramped, probably as big as this room, cramped. And, um, and the bricks had people's names in them. It was the people that had actually laid the foundation of this this cafe, or the foundation of whatever it was initially. And uh, on my rides They're here. They're coming to get you. My rides here, yeah. <laughs> Can you hear that on the, on the record? Probably, Sorry yeah, guys, I my know. ride just showed up, I gotta go. But, uh, but yeah, so anytime, so there was names of like, and I think they were convicts, because it was a penal colony initially. Mm. And so they were, they had prisoners that were working, right? And so these people's names, and I'm just like, Wow, I'm I tr- I'm like perpetually on acid, it's, you know. But I haven't done anything in 14 years, six months, and 12 days. So every time somebody would say, "This is my home group," they they would bang on the table and they would go, "Solid foundation, solid as a rock." And I was wow. like, "This is my home group now." You're gonna say solid as a rock? I'm like, now it's solid. Solid as a rock. This is my home. Uh, and I and I got called on. They're all, you want to share, mate? And I'm all, absolutely. So I talked for a while, and I was like, can I? Can this be my home group too? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> Smash the table again, oh and it was fantastic. So we, it's still the same big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's still the principles. It's still discovering that that or acknowledging if admitting if you do have an allergy in the body and an obsession in the mind that. But eventually, it says that they cause a spiritual malady, which means to me that maybe there's a spiritual sickness, maybe not. But the solution is spiritual. So if I have the sickness of mind and body, if I can enter spirit into that, then I can change the way that I think, and I don't think I need to pick up a drink or a drug. Therefore, I don't kick the phenomenon of craving in. Therefore, the allergy is actually academic. It's moot. It doesn't exist if I don't put it in my body, right? And if you can acknowledge that. And then seek a power greater than yourself, which is myself is my thinking in this case, my alcoholic thinking, and then clean up the past and try to help some other people. You can stay sober and have an awesome life. Mm. So that's so it's the same principles. I went to an English-speaking meeting in Istanbul, Turkey. I went to a meeting in Jerusalem, 
which was another amazing story. My rabbi friend, who I sponsored, sponsor, uh, he had been to school, he'd been in, in rabbinical school for a year, from June of 11 to June of 12, and I got to Jerusalem on, the, uh, on July 4th of 2012. Literally a month later, I, was, I played a show in Tel Aviv, uh, my band was opening for Guns N' Roses, which was amazing. Oh my and then God. we took a tour the next day of the old city, and all of his friends from his home group were fighting over who was going to come pick me up. I'd never met these people in my life. They didn't know who I was, other than I was this guy's sponsor in AA. And they were fighting on Facebook. And I just literally watched it, like looked at my phone, and they're like, no, no, I'm going to get him, because you you're going to be over here, and then I'm going to grab him, and then go. So I just went, I'll just be at the gate, and five cars will show up, or one. <laughs> So someone Somebody came, with a big sign. Yeah, so they <laughs> came and picked me up after this amazing tour of the old city. It was incredible. And I went to this AA meeting, and they were like, how it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who is whoop de doop de doo Like, it was the same thing. And they were like, Sonny, I've never met these people. In my, and I was like, hey. <laughs> and we hugged like we were, we, like we were best friends. It's family. Yeah. It's family. It's incredible. Cologne, Germany. I went to an English-speaking meeting there. This guy was, at one point, the guy was hurting. This was in 2012 or 13. And this guy was hurting. And he goes, I know we're in an English-speaking meeting. He's like, is it okay if I say this in German? Because I can really... And we did a quick group, quick group conscience. And it was like, everyone in favor of him speaking German? I was like, Get, let me, I want to hear that. And he let loose. And I was, and I was on every word. And yep. I didn't know what yep. he was saying. Yep. But I did. And, and psychology, like, it's so tied, language and emotion. Uh, often I'll have a lot of Hispanic families, and they don't speak a lot of English, and I don't speak a lot of Spanish, and there's not a beat that I don't miss, you know? I don't, I, I don't miss a beat. That you miss, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you miss, yeah. Amazing, you, be, you so. don't, yeah, you don't miss a beat. Yeah, I yeah. mean, look at the attunement that goes on, especially when you, you know, and the courage for him to assert himself and say, can I speak up and mm. in my home language that would make me feel authentic and real and um, to not worry about what I call the audience, you know? Yeah, the, the like how everyone else is, yeah. Well, and I think what you two are talking about is related to the topic. It's, Indeed. It's the music, language is music, and, and vice versa, and so I think that's a good way to get into this. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jenny J.B. Wilson. I'm here with Dr. Wendy O'Connor and our guest today, Sonny Mayo from Rock to Recovery. And he has also brought along his friend who just is in town from Australia, Jess, who Speaking I'm so Australia. glad is sitting here and joining us. Thank so, you. As we've said, please feel free to pipe in. Um, Sonny is a professional musician and works with Rock to Recovery, which is an organization founded by, is he a guitarist, Wesley Gear? Wes Gear, yeah. He is a former guitarist of the band Korn. Uh, he played for four years with Korn. And then after, he was actually replaced by the original guitar player. Uh, the original guitar player left, and then for years, the band actually had another guy that would play, but they really saved that dude's spot for him. And so they had a guy that would tour live with them. So Wes did it for four years, toured the world, again, had a renaissance of his own in, in recovery. Um, and then after he got back, and he was like, okay, God, as I understand God, I'm a musician, I like helping people, and I need a job. And he, was, and he started doing, actually he'll tell you this every time, he started doing uh, some Wayne Dyer ah, ah meditations for manifestation. I love Wayne Dyer. Right? Love. And so he started to do this, and then he literally... This is what happens. There's a miraculous thing that happens. I think it's miraculous, because I can't really explain it. Even though I take an action, we'll call it prayer, 
a result occurs, and then I go, it's a miracle, I can't explain it. Well, I can actually. I actually went inside, and I, I didn't go up or reach out to. I went in, and I said, help me. And then suddenly I could hear things differently. In this case, that was with Wes. He heard a mutual friend of ours, who I actually also sponsor, and he said, hey, man, I, he's tours in the band called Black Label Society. He's a drummer. And he goes, and I just probably blew his anonymity, even though I didn't say his name. He probably won't care. We can beep it out. He won't care, yeah. Uh, he'd be like, yeah, dude, thanks for mentioning me. So um, so he said, hey, we were on this you know, USO thing, and we ended up sitting with some veterans, and we, we actually wrote an original song with them, just like out of the blue. And, lit, and Wes went, bing! Like, it was, like the light bulb went off, and he went, oh, my God. So I can go into treatment centers and like start, quote-unquote, a band with people and then write an original song. So he started to develop this idea. He told me about it in May of 12. I'm sorry, May of 13. He, he did a, started the NPO in 12, on 12, 12, 12 is actually the inception date. He didn't start his first session until June of 13. But I have a journal entry where I wrote, you know, I was writing, I call it a God comma. I wrote God comma. If I, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to be involved in rock to recovery. I was lost in my life. My dog had just died. My dad was on his deathbed. My marriage was about to end. All this stuff was going down, and I was lost, you know, musically, uh, career-wise, whatever. Only thing I really had, if you will, was a connection with a higher power and my family and what was going on in that moment, which was trying to be there for my dad. And so he, I wrote this journal entry. Hey, I feel, this feels right. You guide me. If I'm supposed to do this, then just help me. If this is what I'm supposed to do, I, and I got home after my dad passed away, I got home. I started to help uh, uh, West develop Rock to Recovery. It was very ambitious at first. We had like rec like recording equipment, like we were gonna do that you it. Would take in with you. Yeah, I mean it was a laptop and a bunch of microphones, but it was ambitious. We were gonna write a song over the course of four weeks, so we could really develop it. And then we realized we had to streamline it because in treatment, one week she's here, the next day she's gone, yeah. and there's three new people or everybody's new. And you're like, oh, we just started this song last week. What are we supposed to do? So, and now what we do is you, uh, you may, can I just segue right into yes, it? Yeah, please, please. Go now right what we do it. with Rock to Recovery is um, there's one, it's basically like a, a regular group where there's a facilitator. We come in, one, one person comes in uh, with two small guitar amps, two guitars, uh, a small uh, power amp, which powers the uh, keyboard and uh, a mixer that has two microphones. And we have a bunch of percussion instruments. And we have a, relatively quick check-in like a group topic i'll usually read like a meditation for the day and then set up a, a check-in question like what is a fear that you're walking through today what brings a smile to your face you know what we just it's some kind of check-in question um and then we do it you know we go around the room person says their name if they identify as addict or alcoholic they say they they say that then they go how many days i'm 13 days sober and everybody makes a bunch of noise for them we're banging the keyboards yeah. <laughs> rocker style yeah we're like let's get yeah bring the energy up and then it goes on around, and then we start a band, and we write an original song together, and just in that session, forty, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, ninety-minute session, yeah. And you name the band. We have a name for the band, and we have, and we uh, write an original song, have title the song, and then we record it live uh, using a. I just use a little stereo uh, recorder now. It's called a Zoom mic, and then uh, we upload it to SoundCloud. Oh, you um, do. Mm -hmm. oh we have almost, I think, believe we have forty-five hundred songs oh on our SoundCloud page. Oh, 4,500. It started off with West Gear in June of 2013, one guy. And now in July of 2016, there are nine of us. There's nine, nine of you now. From Malibu to San Diego and everywhere in between. Wow. We have uh, close to 60 uh, treatment centers that we work with. 
So I was, I just want to say how I met you briefly um, and, and didn't really know you or your work or anything, but I was kind of thrown into being a clinical director of a program for a short time. And I'm in the office and, you know, new people are coming and going and we have this group of wonderful women who are working on their program and a lot of emotional stuff going on and uh, really powerful stories and uh, anyway so I'm in the office that's next door to this big beautiful room and I see you walk in you are just like high energy and just got this beautiful energy about you and and, uh, and you walked in and you're saying hello to everyone and taking care of yourself and just you know grounding yourself and eye contact and kind of you know, going in and setting up. I had no idea. Nobody told me what you do, who you are. We had a lot of different uh, adjunct services, so I wasn't sure, you know, there was art therapist, and, but nothing about, you know, mics and whatever it is, a, a piano or a keyboard, keyboard yeah. or whatever, and, uh, and, and an amp. And I'm like, okay, not sure what that is. And yeah. I know is there a, a concert of, going on here? Like, Yeah, I... I, I yeah, I wasn't sure if you were just gonna bust out with a nice little, uh, you know, play the ladies solo. Of yeah, yeah. And um, so I said, okay, that's interesting. And everybody said, you know, Wendy, come on in. You want to come in? And I said, oh no, that's okay, because I, I think what we talk about in psychology is when children play or when they don't play. You know, uh, in childhood, we talk a lot about trauma and play. And I grew up with a lot of trauma. My mom is sober. 48 years, mm. uh, 45 years or something. But we grew up with a lot of trauma, and so playing was not uh, easy. We, we did play, but so immediately when someone says, do you want to come and play, whether it's art or this thing, that I had no clue what you were up to at all. I don't know what I'm but doing, they, so but no. They, you, know, you seem like a nice person. They said, do you want to come in? I was like, no, that's okay. But uh, anyway, so then you, know, you shut the door, and all of a sudden I hear like big amps and music and guitar, and I'm like, huh. Okay, so I'm in the next room, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm hearing people, like, talking a little bit louder and laughing and just, you know, gathering and this really nice energy. And then, uh, you know, and some of the girls that were in that, or women that were in that room, came from really hardcore mm -hmm. gang-banging backgrounds and had been in jail and all the stuff. So we had kind of an array of an affluent, you know, population and then mixed in with some very really incredible street hood mm -hmm. uh you know background and uh anyway so you know 20 minutes go by and i go oh that's gonna be interesting and someone told me a little bit about what you do and i said i don't know that they're are they really gonna bust out with some singing and <laughs> i don't know and that's interesting and i'm a dreamer and i think out of the box all the time but i couldn't see i just had no clue what it was so i'm working on the computer on a report and all of a sudden you start jamming, the music is flowing, it sounds amazing, and one of the gangbanger girls who like is from Rough Rough, who I thought was like sad and really out of it, like pretty sedated, you know, when she was in groups and stuff, um, was just all of a sudden like, bam, chicka, bam, like boom, boom, boom. Like, she was rapping, rapping, right? Yeah, she was like rapping. I know exactly like, who you're talking about. I would have, I mean, she sounded like MC Light. Time to live life, Whoa. make it amazing. Been craving since the days of days, and now I'm at the four seasons. I got a reason to celebrate, something to believe in. Yeah, MC Light. Like, you know, like, I would have bought her album. It was so awesome. And just hearing. And funny and what true. What you brought out, like, 
I just knew it was like really special what you did, and Thanks. and uh, and they continued to ask me to be a part of it, and I could, I just it felt. I'm gonna tell you something else that um, what we have is like uh, either counter transference or the things emotionally right. that go on with us as therapists. Mm. This is our tool, so we feel it. It felt very vulnerable and intimate. What happened behind those closed doors? And so for you to come in, you feel like you would be intruding on their experience as their therapist or is there was that um, I, uh, you know the the role that I was taking on I was learning a whole bunch of new things um, so it's not and I'm very humanistic so it's not like I wouldn't think that was appropriate to join the staff was joining but you felt intuitively you were like I'm gonna let them have their it experience. was my stuff though oh. that was assuming not even assuming I'm sure it felt like behind closed doors it's not it's it would be an intrusion um, it like it wasn't it was their thing it was for them not right, for me right. although the invitation was for everyone whether you're staff or not um, but it was very special and I and I also just felt like it was nice to witness observe and hear yeah, yeah. but a little part of me was I could only imagine how like I said vulnerable and intimate what you did with them and how they looked so incredibly uh, happy, energetic. You woke their spirit up after you left. Wow. Yeah. Booyah. <laughs> I was. I. I Doctor Wendy just dropped the mic, y'all. She's right. You have that energy. It stood out to me the first time I met you, and I had that same feeling about the intrusiveness when you invited me that time to come in. I was like, please. You don't even know how much you helped me. <laughs> but there was that feeling Us. of I wanted to. I didn't want to take over their time you know I wanted that and you had a bond with them you were really building something with them but it's like a gift it was a gift for them but also you know it's interesting I, I remember my mom used to always say if someone offers you something take it you know be open enough because they're putting you know they're risking they're sharing love with you so be open enough mm -hmm. to to do it um, so if you could go back would you make the same decision or would you go in I don't You're think I could go head. in. I don't think. I I think it's that little girl part of me that didn't play, and uh, and we need still, to get her to play. you know. And I want to talk about that word after yeah. we're done. Yeah, I just I, I feel uh, it's uh, I I can't see it, but I know it could be if that makes sense. What's make sense? what's it? Um, <laughs> depends on what your definition of it is. The playing, the <laughs> risking. I had such respect for these women who just. Here they are, and they're sober, and they're detoxing, and in every different stage, and every background, and they just let you in. They let you in with sharing, you know, developing words and songs, and then, oh my God, to stand up with a mic and then bust a rhyme was just like and playing instruments that they don't naturally or normally right. play as well. That's yeah. What they play. what you may not may not be conveyed on the to the people that are listening is that um, none of them were musicians. None of them. Right. Except for the guy right here, that was kind of the ringleader of. I, what I did was just all. I just all. We we. I'll say I because I'm the one that's talking about me. But we offer up the play. We go, hey, you wanna? And it's and it's literally. I've said to people, hey, I just brought you a playground. Don't you want to get on the slide? You want to go get on the merry-go-round? So what if they say no? What if you have you had? I'm I'm assuming you've <laughs> had some people that. Your um, experience is the norm. No, 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 no. I can't. <laughs> I'm not, Fear. my mom always said I was rhythmically challenged. Mm -hmm. I, they have this block. Yeah. And I go, hey, check this out. So think about this. 
Take, think of the phenomenon we refer to as playing, quote-unquote, music. So if you're a guy on the street corner playing a washboard, or you're a concert pianist, you're playing. What is the word play? What does that mean? It invokes joy. What is, what is playing? What's the act of playing? What is it? Risking. Maybe walking through fear, trying... No, no, it's jumping, it's rolling, it's pushing, it's falling down. Uh It's, yeah, I mean, risky, sure. Not controlled. Sure, yeah, it's like, woo! Let's, I have an idea, let's set up these couches and then run from the other room and flip over into them. I have an idea, I'm going to put this guitar in your hand and I'm going to give you these four notes. Just hit them randomly, wherever you want to. Whenever you... Letting yourself go, I think is what it's about. That's what it is, let go. I see it as like also like a it, joyous like expression of imagination, you know, yeah. like letting your imagination out of its cage. Mm. It it's is something that's really hard to do as we become adults, mm. and, and we have so many other things to do. Although maybe there's a cultural shift now. I think because so many people of my generation, like we've grown up, and we're all, I guess, the latchkey kids. We're all like, now it's my turn to play, you know, and right. that's why so many of us have. Like collectors, dolls, and shit like that. Right. You know, <laughs> adults when I was growing up didn't have right, Barbie right. dolls. Like uh, it's not for you know, it's just for a certain group. It's not for you. You know, it's not just for children. Anymore. I think yeah. society tells us that you know having toys and playing on the playground is just for children. Um, whereas if you're an adult and you embrace that, it's it's so it brings you back to that childlike state which is when we're at when we're at, at our most pure and we don't have all the expectations of the world and society and all of that so I think being able to just play and let go and I love how Sunny describes that is is that just letting go and find bringing yourself back to childhood and allowing yourself to feel that way again and not feeling guilty about it Every time I see a playground and a swing set, I have to go to the swings. Yeah. I have to and see how high I can get. Um, and, that, you know, I don't know if you guys have those um, trampoline places here where you... Yeah. Ju- Sky high or whatever. The, yeah. whole, the whole room is a trampoline? Yeah, we, we have... It's called Bounce in Australia. And, um, yeah, it's just a whole place that has just trampolines and you can, like, jump around and do flips and just be crazy and act play. like a kid and play. Yeah. And it's the best. And so you did say risk, and it is risking the thing that we've guarded. We've grown. When are you going to grow up? That mentality. Mm. It's risking. Like, am I am I allowed to do? You're too old for this. Mutually exclusive. Like you can't have both in your life or express both and be a fully formed adult. Adults don't do that. I think also. what you were born, you know, raised with. So I'm an attachment therapist, which means we look at the different types of secure attachment, anxious, avoidant, ambivalent, whatever type of attachment, the strong messages that we received growing up from our parents. So if your parents were playful, hopefully that invites you to kind of relax and, you know, jump Mm. and, and go into play. And if you saw uptight you know, withdrawn or even a depressed or anxious parent, you know, you can only imagine how difficult that is for uh, a young adult then to, you know, push through that. Right. Somebody who's going to be like, be careful, be careful. Don't go there. Yeah. Don't oh, do that. Oh, oh my God. Where are you going? But what see, and then what there's so nature and nurture, right? Yep. So there's, they have their, and I think it's specific or it's a, uh, uh, it's case by case because my mom is definitely like, oh, 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 and I'm like, woo. <laughs> 
Did right, you go the opposite? Yeah. You went it's the opposite. It's always one or the other, right? So that turned you off, what you saw. And so you just went... I'm fine. You're rebelling. You, know, you rebel. Watch this. So famous last words. So there, that that's a great way to get into. I know in uh, an interview you described yourself as a metalhead at heart. I want to know what your relationship <laughs> is. That on music here? Is that on the page here? No, that's oh, okay. Mine. I that's love mine. your You're quotes, girl. She is. Yeah. Recent. she's amazing. I was telling Jess on the way over here. I was like, I had read these and I was like, oh, I'm like, yes, those are the questions I want to answer. And um, and I was telling Jess, I'm like, she listened to some <laughs> previous interviews. And I'm like, what a great, I mean, what a great interviewer. Well, I wanted, I wanted to know more about you and, and um, be prepared. And Instead of just be like, so, what's up with you? Instead of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, so you said, so please, um, would you rephrase the question? So, yeah, so you had said that you're a metalhead at heart, but I want to know what your relationship with music is, how it started, when you first noticed that you had this drive or this ability. What came first, the talent or the drive with you? What? Uh, I don't know. Which, I guess Dude, I could, what's your story? Tell me a story, bro. Yeah. So as a kid, um, I was. I'm. I'm. A, I'm a, I don't know. I'm. I'm a Cancerian. I. You know, my birthday's actually in a few days. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday! Thanks, thanks. And uh, and so I've always been like music, art, animals, children, love, right? And so I, as you know, as a kid, it's like trying to think about when music actually moved me. I, I, the earliest memory I really have is like playing the xylophone or the, I hated the recorder in elementary school. I was like, so I was banging on the xylophone, the little different colors and, you know, I was always into that. So I started off very percussive, but melodic as well. And so I, I went to, I liked the way that the violin looked. So I was like, I want to play that. My parents were like, okay. And they accidentally gave me a viola, which, you know, it's just a baritone violin basically. So I started playing violin or viola. And then, um, my sister was playing guitar. So I was like, no, I'm not doing anything she's doing. Is she older? Yes. Okay. 22 months older. She's two years older, yeah. Um, so I was like, I'm not doing that. Even though I felt drawn to it, I was like, no. And I was like, ooh, the saxophone looks cool. It Literally, because it looked cool. So I played the alto sax for uh, between like the ages of five, uh, fifth grade and uh, up to ninth grade, I think. But what happened was, <laughs> I started to, uh, I went from like rock and roll Led Zeppelin, ACDC, Kiss, all the Beatles, all the classic rock. That's those guys and Rolling Stones, whatever. Those guys invented um, electric rock and roll. I mean, really, they stole slash borrowed it from the blues, yeah, right. which was all uh-huh. black right. musicians. Yep. Right. Took it and made it rock and roll. Once there's a, uh, a movie called Crossroads starring Ralph Macchio and um, and Jamie Excellent. Jamie Gillis I think remember Jamie Gillis the actress that was in Less Than Zero uh, she was on that stupid oh, show Jamie Gertz Gertz oh, I'm yeah, sorry yeah. Jamie Gillis is somebody else Jamie Gertz yeah um, and so they they were in this movie and there was it's this it's this this kid from New York who goes to uh, is it Juilliard or uh, whatever amazing school of music it is in in New York. And he's a he's a classical guitarist, but he's all about the blues. And he finds he's trying to find this one missing song from uh, Robert from Robert Johnson's uh, collection. There was this, this session where they recorded thirty songs, but only twenty nine of them appeared. So he's like, "Where's the missing song?" So he found this dude who was like in an old folks' home, Blind Dog Fulton, 
and he found this dude, and he they went down, and he made that guy made a deal with the with the devil. They went down the crossroads, right? So I cannot recall, recall why I started telling the story about about <laughs> cross, about the movie Crossroads, but uh, we're talking about yeah. Music in your oh yeah, life. I made a deal with the devil. That's right. No, I was kidding. <laughs> so you found the saxophone, right? But then I so I was like, I oh yeah, uh, and he he says he says this thing. He goes he goes muddy waters created electricity. Bo Diddley, Muddy Waters, Robert Johnson, these guys. He's like, those guys created electricity. And that's what they took the, and they made rock and roll. So I was into all that. But then, I, as, a, as, a, as a little punk, rebellious kid, who was also starting to experiment with drugs, um, because my parents were divorced and because I was different than everybody, um, if the three of us were friends, you guys were better friends with each other than either of you were with me. These thoughts, these feelings. The thought that then caused a feeling, probably. Uh, at least, I, if that's how one of the methods works or one of the play, ways it works yeah. is I have a thought and then it feels like this. You or both ways. Right, yeah. or you have a feeling, yeah. And so um, I started to feel rebellious. I had this one experience. I grew up in Virginia. My dad, uh, my dad's side, my grandfather, uh, was a Pentecostal holiness pastor oh, in, wow. in Southern Virginia. Uh, we did. He didn't handle snakes. That was down the street. But <laughs> speaking in tongues—that's usually what people ask. Snakes? I'm like, no, they were down the street. But it was this beat-up church where he was holding court, and he was—they were speaking in tongues and all this stuff. My father, atheist. He would sit. He was a good son, though. He would sit in church, and he would just go. He would stand up when he's supposed to sit down. Never sang, but but what also wasn't a source of information for me. Oh, I was like. I'd watch him and I'd be like, what's he doing? And then my mom was next to him, praise the Lord. You know, I don't remember her ever speaking in tongues, but everyone else was. And at one point, you guys, I was in church. I was staying with my family for the, you know, I mean, my grandparents for the summer. And we were in church on a Wednesday night because that's what you do. And I was the only kid there. And everybody's falling over, speaking in tongues. And I felt more alone than I had, had ever, could, I couldn't have ever imagined. And I had never seen the movie Night of the Living Dead but I was hoping that they weren't going to eat me. Huh? <laughs> I was like, please don't eat me. I, so they were like, oh, I imagine no. that uh, even if you are sober, it feels like you're on drugs in that moment because everything is, like you said, you're in a different reality than what's going on around you. Yeah. So this caused uh, some uh, tension with me and quote-unquote God. Um, and I was like, fuck that guy. You, if, if I'm bad and you made me, then you're the one that messed up. I don't have, I'm not going to come groveling to you, almighty father God. I was like, no, dude, you're a dick. And that's how I felt. That was the child talking right there. And it was valid. It was. That's, I mean, I was like, fuck you, man. And if you love your son so much, then why'd you let them do that to him? It right. made no sense. It still doesn't really make sense to me. Um, but that's okay. Uh, and so I rebelled. There, now, we can talk for a little while, right? Because I yeah, will babble yeah. on at you guys, yeah, just so yeah, you know. Yeah. So there was a thing. My grandfather brought in a guest speaker from some backwoods church somewhere in southern something. You know, north, south, Kakalaki. And this guy came in, and he was like, can you say you believe in Jesus Christ? <laughs> can you say you believe? Amen. It was all that. And he did a seminar on backwards messages in music. Led Zeppelin, ACDC, The Beatles, Kiss. All the bands that I loved. Rush. For Christ's freaking sake. Rush? I know. He's like, and he did this whole seminar on backwards messages in music and how the devil was in it all. 
and I, you guys, I had this this reaction. I started having, I started hallucinating. I started seeing, I'd wake up from and have nightmares of demons in my room, like in my face. Oh my God. Because this is what I, and I thought I was going to hell. And one day, and I would wake up screaming. My parents were like, oh my God, we got to get this kid some therapy or something. Like, what's wrong? And I'm like, eh, they're coming for me. And one day, I had this realization. Well, if they are here all, but I'm still here, then they're nothing. Go ahead, demon. Scream and yell. Are you going to bite me or are you just going to scream and yell at me? And the demon's like, oh, man, I'm just a demon, dude. That's just really show. And I'm like, cool. You want to hang out? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you want? It's so interesting you said that there's a mindfulness. It just, I'm thinking, my son loves to read mindfulness. He's 15 years old. Wow. We sit down, we drink tea, we, we, we hang out and read these books. So this uh, Japanese artist has a wonderful book, and one of the things that this person says is... Serve your dragon's tea. Yes. Sit with your demons and have tea with them. Serve your dragon's tea. I think it's a quote from some rad little yeah. Asian awesome man. Yeah, it's an, it, it's a wonderful <laughs> mindfulness book, and that's what you said is that instead of being afraid of it, that you welcomed it and challenged it and said, what you know, what what is the worst that could happen? Yeah, what's up? You know, <laughs> all these teeth gnashing claws and. Well, I think that that's also that feeds into addiction uh, and other forms of psychological troubles is when people don't want to look at the darkness or talk to the demons or acknowledge the negative things in their life that they think, well, I got to try to be happy. I got to focus on this. I got to keep it on the positive and just try to sweep that under the rug. And so much of what we do here, and I'm sure you do in in the work that you're doing is trying to get people into relationship with those parts of them. Look at it. I feel so, I feel so strongly that there's beauty in the darkness and that, you know, when your eyes adjust, you see it mm-hmm. and, and you can feel it and you have to call on other senses and self-trust and things within yourself. We're, we're not fully formed unless we're in relationship with both our light and our darkness Word. In, in my experience. And I think uh, talking about it, whether it's, uh, you know, therapy or um, reading a mindfulness book, I'm thinking about music and what you represent and how it's acceptable to be swept away, to fantasize, to you know, live out certain thoughts, in, and you can go into the dark side, you know, uh, in music and whatever it is. But uh, you know, sometimes when we say in therapy, oh, you know, what is your biggest fear? Some people will say, I'm scared to die. And then people just stop there instead of say, well, if you died, what would happen then? How about this? When you die. Yeah. Right. It's not if. Yeah. Right. We're all going to die. Exactly. I say, I say, yeah, yeah, you guys, they did a study. And 10 out of 10 people die. <laughs> my favorite quote is, none of us are getting out of here alive. Oh, my so God. So we might as well just be kind. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah, love. Of course. I read a quote the other day in one of my groups, and it was from one of my meditation books, and it was... Um, so many are afraid to die that they never truly begin to live. Totally. And yep. it's like, okay, so acknowledge it. It's not if, yep. it's when. Yep. Five to one, baby. One in five. No one here gets out alive now. And you're right, music <laughs> is a great way to sort of tap into those. I mean, there are songs that I listen to a lot 
that take me to not necessarily like dark bad places but like sad places mm. and like it's cathartic mm. where I will find myself crying there's specifically I think of there's a song by Sting um, called I'm so happy that I can't stop crying and that song it's it's written from the point of view of a divorced father singing pretty much to I'm looking it up his, and listening to uh, singing to his children and his ex-wife and who was in a relationship with a new man I'm not a I'm not a divorced man with children and a, and a, a partner who's remarried but the song just makes me cry when I'm listening to it and singing along to it and it just taps into something very human and human empathy yeah and it's, it's beautiful and I can listen to it over and over and over again can you forgive me? I hope that you'll be happy. I'm so happy that I can't stop crying. I'm so happy I'm laughing through my tears. Why? Why am I doing that? Because there's also something really cathartic about it that for me, I, I want to be in touch with it. I don't want to lose my relationship with those parts of me completely because that also allows me to connect to people different than I am. And just because I'm in a happy marriage doesn't mean that I want to totally forget what it's like to be unhappy in a relationship. Or not ex even experience the or feel the experience that it exists. Yes. Like it's it's like a, there's a bunch of food on the table and you're like, I'll, stop. I'll try this. I'm not really into olives, but this looks like a different type of way they make olives. Oh, okay. It's pretty good. Cool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like different flavors. Yeah. And experiencing yeah. those um, sad, difficult times does help you appreciate the good and the happiness that is in your life, I think. Absolutely. And like you said, relating to other people, um, not necessarily having experienced it yourself, but f knowing what it might feel like to be in that situation can help you nurture your relationship better to yeah. make sure that, I guess, you avoid those kinds of situations. Or on an existential level, maybe you have lived that before. Well, I think it also probably, <laughs> I, I think I, I think part of it taps into my dad, you uh -huh. know, yep. my there you father go. as the divorced right. man with children. Ah. Mm. Um, I think that that's... It's a little more realistic than yeah. what I just said. Yeah. <laughs> no, but however, however you want to look at it. I know it's. But yeah, I, but what you're all talking about too reminds me, you know, the Buddhist kind of idea of unity and compassion that we're all one. We all feel these things. They all just come out in different ways, and we experience them different in our story. I think it's really cool. Marianne Williamson says that life is a shared delusion, <laughs> and I, I love, love that. Her. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. And I was thinking about, so uh, my teenage son is obsessed with the 80s and the 90s. And so he we plays. We knew that was going to happen at it, some point. It's, it takes like 30 years for it to then become cool again. Everything is now 80s and 90s yes. again. But the trippy thing is I'll be driving and he'll turn on some song and the meaning is so different for us so that, you know, it's like this fork in the road. I can have my amazing memory and you know some print song and then he'll you know and it, he, it's so new and fresh for him and watching him experience it for the first time and yet just a rolodex of memories you know and we can still meet at this this point in the street and, and just appreciate the here and now it's such a surreal awesome it's an acid trip really Think yes about it. 
What does it mean to him? What's it yeah. What's it causing in him? Mm-hmm. And and yo, the frequencies, the actual tones that are coming out, mixed with the melodies and the particular instruments that are conveying a certain tempo, that actually somehow sound like a part of my life. And it's like, how oh, in the world does that happen? And we do it every day, and it's it's magical, man. I've had experiences in sessions where uh, we were talking about the music being this language. I say to people. Uh, you know, they say math is the universal language. Okay, two plus two is four, either here or in Melbourne or where. Maybe it's different on some other frequency, whatever. But two plus two is four, okay? But I don't know if I hear two plus two is four and, and go, oh, and like get moved. Maybe some weird dude does. Maybe some like, I don't know, uh, our buddy uh, Stephen Hawking's. Maybe he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> Three. I'm sure after he worked out a big formula, he's like, oh, he's like, that's good. <laughs> better, than dump, uh. better than a dump. Better than better than a nasty he's shit. Like, uh. just, oh, everything's cleared out now. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, that, that square root. Uh. Yeah. But when I hear The Most Beautiful Girl in the World by Prince, oh, yeah, I'm like, oh. The most Emotions at one time. Yeah. He's like, Did you see the most beautiful girl in the world? Like, she's over there, and he's like, What did you see? Like, just, I mean, but it's, and it says so much, and you guys are moved by it. Yeah. The most beautiful girl in the world. You're all, oh, Mm -hmm. but check this out. So, the, so music, in my view, is the universal language of love. All right. It's a universal language, like, okay, A, B, C, D, but then there's, a, B, C, D, right? right <laughs> that right. thing. Then we sing it to our, to each other. Well, it's got, the, it's got movement and rhythm. Yeah. I just, uh, so I just got back from um, helping a family member with a health issue, and it's a, a teenager, and um, going through a really hard time, and uh, so through his recovery, after a few operations, he holds on to his mom's hand, my sister, and he said, Mom, sing me mm. a childhood song. And she's not a singer, by the way, and you don't need to be. So my sister starts singing a Karen Carpenter song. A beautiful on the day that you were born and you just got together. Oh my God. On the day that you were born, the angels got together and decided goes by and she said do you remember you asked me to sing you a song and he said no and and but that doesn't go away you know that's in his heart that's in his soul it's exactly what he needed at that moment so 
the funny thing is, is that she's sharing this story with uh, all of her family members and we're saying, wow, what would come up for you when someone asks you to sing a childhood song? For me, I would perceive that question as uh, the wheels on the bus go round and round. I, I, you know what I mean? It would be about what he wanted or his childhood. And I think it's so beautiful when it was in her heart was that beautiful song about her baby. Yeah. And um, she, it was so therapeutic for her to be singing her song to, to her, her son kid. as he's recovering. Um, Out of all the songs, I and just he was, that was and that was a subconscious level, whatever, you know, drugs or whatever were in him, and he was like, mom, this the soul that was like mom. So my mom, uh, I have one. It was, I think, it was the courtship of Eddie's father. Uh-huh. People yeah. let me tell you about yeah, my Harry best Nelson. friend, right? Uh-huh. She would, she'd wake me up. My mom has the best way, and it was, and I was always like, and when you wake up, but she'd come in and she'd start singing to me, and she'd have a little washcloth, and she'd put my face. And I was always like bothered, oh, but it was, and she schedule. probably loved it. But she would sing that. Bill Bixby was the actor, I think, yeah. and uh, I don't even think I've ever seen that show, but I know. But that's right when you said, and the Karen Carpenter is beautiful, but that would be what the one would come up for me would be. And she would probably sing it like that too. She would know exactly that moment. People let me tell you about my best friend. He's a warm-hearted person who loved me till the end. People let me tell. To me, when you were telling that, was that I, I flashed to a memory of my grandmother's deathbed, which sounds really dark. But uh, I was there with my grandfather and my sister, and they said, Jenny, she she needs you in here. She wants you to sing to her, which was something my grandmother always wanted me mm. to do, right? And I was like, I don't know what to sing, and they're like, whatever we're doing, it's not working, and so. I sang, I started singing to her, you made me love you, I didn't want to do it, I didn't want to do it. You made me love you, and all the time you knew it, I guess you always knew it. Just a smile on her face, and they were so happy, because apparently she would just not, she was just like, no, 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 with them, she was very stubborn. She's like American Idol. No, (laughs) no, no. (laughs) And you tapped her soul. And my, my sister has a beautiful voice too, so I don't know what was what was going on with Nana at the time. But it was this really special moment, and it was one of our last real moments. Mm. My grandmother and I, with us, us around her, but me singing to her, and it was very very powerful. You know, I think it's when you're going through something like your nephew or my grandmother. It's, it's what's scary, and and music can be so comforting. And so I'm sure that with Rock to Recovery and in terms of uh, treatment and... The mood changing. And, and uh, It's amazing. Yeah, I read... You're a mood changer. So, yeah, and, and how, how people are coming in and they're not experienced with singing or songwriting or instruments and so sure that they're going to look foolish or I mean, self-conscious, just whatever's going on that they're able to push past that and have a positive experience. Yeah, that. there's a thing, and you guys kind of, we did, talk, I mean, and this is a fantastic interview, by the way. It's an awesome conversation. <laughs> Collaborative conversationalists. Uh, where, uh, no. I'm, uh, no, I'm not, I'm, no. And I go, okay. And then we keep on moving. I, we, the thing about it is, I believe, is to keep it flowing. Because you're, if, you, if you're one person, if it's just me and it's just the two of us, then I might have an issue. But again, I don't, I, it's not that I don't accept no as an answer. It's um. It's like no now. 
And then, well, how about now? How about now? How about now? And it changes as you go into it, um, each moment. And there's, you know, there's the type of person who, uh, no, 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 and then they don't participate, and I go, okay. And I have to make group notes, did not participate. <laughs> Um, and I do, I thankfully most of the time don't take it personally because they're not attacking me, they're just resisting. And I go, I wonder how else they're resisting their own totally. recovery. You know, and I go, I brought you a playground. You want to get on the swing? Yeah. And sometimes they go, oh, okay. And so these techniques that we have, uh, specific, specifically with the keyboard, um, we split it in half, meaning we make half the keyboard on one side a bass instrument and the other half anything we want strings, synth, piano freaking make it a dog barking if we want we have so many sounds in there and so we get two people engaged on the keyboard the the bass person is kind of the backbone of it all they need to have a sense of and they don't even have to have a sense of rhythm they just they're like the main kind of one they're like the whole they're holding it down but i have a drum machine in the in the in the keyboard that plays our beat and so we have dry erase markers we all use the same techniques we have dry erase markers the keys on the keyboard which is amazing are plastic so you write Verse, we're doing verse and it's three notes. You go V1, V2, V3. And you go hold it for two beats, two beats, and four beats. And then repeat. And this is a beat. This is four beats. One, two, three, four. That's so hold that for two. One, two, one, two, one, two, three, four. Repeat. You can that do it with is two. Easy. Right? You can do it with either <laughs> two fingers or one. It'll be a little. Next time you're going in. You're coming in. Or like one of our other therapists would do, she would come in and I'd hit, just put a shaker in her hand. Here. Do this. Shake it up, girl. Yeah. And then she, then she's just like, oh my god. I'm like, exactly. So, um, you start off with that. Like someone's like, okay, man, I don't have any idea, but I'll try it. I'm like, all you have to do is have a willingness to try. Do you know how? I just wonder how many people say no when their heart and soul oh my god, wants yeah. to say yes. Oh, so many. They're like, no, no, no. Not okay. feeling worthy of joining, or like I said, watching you work is so so intimate and vulnerable and and maybe you know they don't know they, they can't come out and play it's like having a kitten and just kind of coming out and going in and you know testing the waters you know? so did all of those techniques like with how you're splitting up the keyboard and all of that come out of the work itself because it sounds like you were there right from the beginning and yeah yeah the, we de developing it yeah i mean it took us to like to a point where we were like Oh wait, we can use two different colored dry erase markers. Black for the verse, red for the chorus. Wow. Problem solving. And so you know you could you could write V like I usually still write V and C, like C one, C two, C three, you know, for chorus. But I also do it in red. So it you know so we d developed it. I don't think, I don't know if we had it from an, from the start. If we were doing that, I can't quite remember. When I was helping Wes develop it, I was really more hands on with guitar players, percussionists, and he was handling more of the keyboard stuff. And then by the time I got the keyboard going, we were definitely, by the time I got my sessions going uh, solo, we were definitely using the, the dry erase technique, which is so helpful. But um, even with guitar, like, you know, someone who's never played guitar in their life, I, I can't. And there's a saying, too, and I, I'm sure it was Harriet Tubman or Abraham Lincoln or Buddha that said, um, uh, argue for your limitations and they are yours. I can't. You're right. You can't. Do you know that Michael Jordan did not, the first shot that he took at a basket he probably missed exactly the last one he took he probably missed <laughs> in the meantime he made the most last second baskets to win games 
in the history of people throwing balls at baskets. <laughs> right. But but what about the kid who stands off to the side and can't even walk up to the basket? What would you say to that kid? Well, I would probably go. Well, I would probably go up to him with an egg shaker. Because <laughs> I don't play say, basketball. Yeah, <laughs> I really give him a guitar. So maybe sports in your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sports t- wasn't technically oh my, my thing. I'm, I'm, I am athletic, but it, but I went more toward playing music. So with um, with people that are more resistant. The freaking little egg shaker. It's, okay. It's green. It's red. Baby it's steps. I have I have one that's a skull that used to grow that used to glow in the dark. I think it did. Oh, I was that's fantastic. I was smoking crystal meth at the time. I had, <laughs> had it. so I think it glowed in the dark. And I think I smoked it. <laughs> and he yeah he has he has more teeth than I did then. Oh and so uh, but it's nice. It's like a, you know it's like a little icebreaker. They're all oh it's a skull and a shaker weird, but the shaker you guys I I tell people yo. And usually what happens with people that are like this is I'll get the people that are kind of, yeah, yeah, I'll totally play that. Or I actually play guitar. Man, I haven't played guitar in eight years, dude. I've been slamming, I've been slamming heroin. And I go, cool, check this out. Oh, and I put a Les Paul in their hands. And they go, you're going to let me play this 1959 Wildwood Spec reissue? And I go, yeah. <laughs> and they go, isn't this expensive? I go, yeah, play it. I mean, how much is a guitar worth that nobody plays? We were talking about that yesterday. Like yeah. it's a, I have an it's an eight thousand eight thousand to eleven thousand dollar guitar that I got through being connected with Rock to Recovery. Someone that I was purchasing it from said, "Stop paying me for that because of the work you do. If you want to put if you want to you want to pay me for that, he said, put it back into Rock to Recovery. Do that." And then I was sitting there and I had this guitar hanging on my wall and I was like, "Mine." And then one day I was meditating and I was like, "I'm the only person that ever plays that guitar and I only play it twice a week. It's worthless." Share. So I went here. And, and people always go, you're going to let him play. What if he drops it? I go. So go further. So it goes in his hands. Uh-huh. And I go, here. And he goes, oh, my God. And he goes, what should I play? And I go, whatever you want to play. And then I do this. And I move over to somebody that's on the keyboard. I literally go like this. And I go, here. And then I go over here. And they, and they go. And they play a C chord. And they play a G. Or maybe they do a little. Mm-hmm. Or they play a song that they remembered. The only song. They play Iron Man or. Or a whole lot of love, or and they go, yeah. You need because at that point, when you turn your back to go to someone else, they've can finally let go because nobody's watching, I suppose. Yeah, I'm not like, I'm like, what are you gonna play? Yeah, it's not like play, play. Yeah, Everyone, look, he's gonna. It's go ahead. Leave them to it. And then I go over here and I go, hey, yeah, so, and I have a beat going. I go, here, look, chick, 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 with the egg shaker or something. And they start to play. And maybe they do four chords. And I go, perfect. It was C to G to D to E minor, right? Just keep playing that. And they're like, it was just a, I was, and I'm like, I know. That's why it's so great. Just keep playing that. And I'll go over and I'll tap the tempo on the keyboard. And then I'll go here, one, two, three, four. And the person will go, boom, 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 And they'll start playing. And then I'll go over here. And whoever's sitting at the, the other, the accompaniment on the piano, or a keyboard, I'll say, what do you think? I'll, I want their information. I want their input. What do you think would be a good instrument to go along with this? Like, I go, here. Like, they go, oh, you're going to write a song for us. I go, no, we're going to write a song. We are, not me. So it taps their soul, because here they are, and they're playing, playing and playing, and, mm. and you are helping them to 
disconnect from the trauma or the sadness or what I call the war stories mm. and literally shift into this new, even reworking of brain chemistry. Absolutely. Well, there's two things too, like you're saying, there's the, there's a grounding in the moment because you're playing and you're, you're in that. Focused. Right? You're, you have yeah, to focus. Yeah. That's the disconnect of from like, I'm not thinking about what just happened. Right. I'm the not, detox or the yeah, or divorce. The, the, or the, yeah. The phone call with mm-hmm. somebody. Or I got to go one, two, right. three, two, two here. Yeah, two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very focused. And then also the the guitar, like I imagine if I wish I could play the guitar, but to understand that you're holding something that valuable and you've you probably seen yourself as a failure or a fuck up. This guy's trusting like, me to hold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are you lefty? I'm worthy. I am no, worthy. I don't. <laughs> I'm worthy of something. Sorry, she was holding her air yeah, guitar. I was air guitaring and the I don't, opposite yeah, way. Uh, I'm very, I'm very. Uh, you're left-handed when you do that way. So you do yeah, that way. Yeah, this way. I do this way. That's le- that's right-handed. The way you're doing it. Right but there. I'm left-handed. That's right-handed. Well, I I do everything though. That's my. You guys have to do that thing where you live in a right-handed world. But a left-handed guitar is strung this way. They're played this way. Right-handed guitar is strung. Yeah, but if I'm left-handed, then just do the right way. You can still, still do it, yeah. Oh, I can do it my lots way. Lots of guys, lots of people do that. So um, with the guitar, even if someone doesn't play the guitar, we have this amazing thing. There's a company called Grove Gear. Ding, ding, ding. Grove? Grove. G-R-U-V. Okay. Gear. They made a thing that looks like a capo, which some people may know what a capo is. It's where you can actually clamp off the strings at a higher um, fret okay. so that the tuning actually changes so you're playing in a higher tuning it just makes it so you can do so you don't have to do as much work oh. barring stuff mm-hmm. but it's a soft uh, uh, like almost a cushion that deadens the strings mm-hmm. so it's like training wheels oh. so we so we deaden the strings at one level so if, if they hit every single string it would just go glink glink and then if and if, uh, and then we go okay so put your finger here mm-hmm. and then tr- and then aim for that string but don't worry if you hit it or not just aim for it and then, and the only string, the only note you hear is the one that's fretted, oh, right? Okay. So it makes it so you can play. You can go like this, and I go, here's two notes, this one and this one. When do I hit them? Whenever you want to, because I, because we'll set it up for a key that is privy to any. I'll put it in usually A minor or C, which is all the white keys on the on the piano, and then I'll show them two notes or four notes, and I'll, and they can play. And this happened to me on Friday, or just happened on Friday, it happened to me. Happened Friday with a woman at a at Claire Foundation actually, mm-hmm. where we donate services to Claire Foundation every Friday, and she's like, I think I want to play guitar today. I'm like, great. I put the Grub Gear thing on her, and we had a, a beautiful little uh, chord progression going. And I showed her these four notes, and she got so frustrated because she couldn't get the thing. And I was like, I was like, so you got the notes? She goes, Yeah, this one, this one, this one, and this one. I go, Cool. And I did the thing. And I go, Yeah, that's right. And then and because she's like, I don't think I want to do this. I think I'm gonna I'm not gonna. <laughs> she's just ready. She's ready to stop. And I was like. Just go ahead. I'm going to help him out real quick. And I knew, if you will, sensed that she was going to be fine. And not three minutes later, she had the exact oh, notes down. <laughs> that's cool. And then she was improvising. And she's like, can I put this one in here too? Because it sounds good. I'm all, yes. That's the next note up in the scale. So, yeah. And people know. People go, I'm not musical at all. I'm not musical. I'm like, do you have a favorite song? Yeah, it's this. I'm going to go, then you're musical. You know what sounds good. You know what doesn't sound good. When somebody hits a note, you go, ooh, that means you know what's good and what's not. So she started rocking this thing, and she was killing it. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, I had two dudes. These guys came out of prison, and they're working together, and they write this rap, and this it's like inspirational rap. It's so rad. And they were like, wait a minute. They're both writing separate verses, and then they're like talking on the couch. They both have microphones that I gave them. And I'm just, and here's the thing is I go, here. 
and I'm and I'm kind of I it's either a blessing or a curse or both that I hear everything I can hear it all and I hear them talking and, and they're like yo what if I did these two lines and then you did your two lines and then I did my next two and you did your, and I was like oh my god this is gonna be amazing and so they went back and forth right back and forth and I was like this is gonna be it's like so a beautiful rad. dissociation it's so cool I mean what a way to bring them together and connecting with other parts of their brain and like you guys story. must know too that both sides of the brain are engaged they've done all this yes. wonderful science recently when I was in treatment I was in rehab when I was 16 years old in Arlington Virginia this is stunning to me yeah and I, I was I not, read that you I read you talking about yeah, this I was not allowed to touch a guitar no, I could not go like the, like put one finger on a guitar. Why? It was considered drug triggering and drug related behavior. Oh Music was considered drug related behavior. So what did I do? My girlfriend, lovely girlfriend, uh, at the time, she every Friday night, we, I was in Arlington Hospital, ATU, Adolescent Treatment Unit at Arlington Hospital, and we were smoking cigarettes. Sixteen years old, small Marlboro Reds, in a hospital. Nineteen eighty seven. The eighties. And so they were just about to ban, you know, uh, uh, smoking on airplanes and all this stuff, right? But we were kids smoking cigarettes into the hospital. And so my girlfriend, we, every Friday night we'd have an NA meeting. For those who don't know, that is Narcotics Anonymous. And our friends could come. And so at that point, I did have a friend every now and then would bring a guitar and I could literally strum two chords on it before someone else was like, please, you know, <laughs> give we, me a fix. <laughs> we would all strum like two chords and be like, dude, you got to. And so my girlfriend, would, yeah, pa- yeah, take take two hits. And pass yeah. it. My girlfriend would bring me a carton of cigarettes, Marlboro Reds, oh my God. <laughs> and a mixtape. Now, kids, I'm talking about an actual tape. Mm-hmm. Old school. Because there's a thing yeah. referred to now. Oh, did you hear his new mixtape? I'm on. No, no, no. This was a mixed tape where she had two tape decks and she recorded songs onto the in order for me. From Metallica to White Snake to Anthrax to Slayer to er- to everything that I loved. Megadeth and all metal and rock and all this stuff and some rap too I was into uh, um, I mean Sugar Hill Gang I said a hip hop the it the hip do the hip hip hop you don't stop the rock do the bang bang boogie say up jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie to beat now what you hear is not a test I'm rapping to the beat I was into yeah, I mean I was into DMC right I was into all of that stuff and so um, yeah call it out Africa Bombata um, Eric B and Rakim um, so she would bring me this uh, Ghetto Boys that was a little yeah. later 80s but she would bring me this thing and so I would sit and everyone else you know the great bane of treatment centers is a ping pong table yeah. I guess it's great people are like <laughs> so I would sit in the in the group room right that's in the group you know they're in, I can just imagine people in straight jackets yeah. and, and a ping pong table and so there was me <laughs> playing I had, they did let me bring my boom box in and so, so that was okay to listen to it. You just come play. So I sat and played air guitar for hours on end. Every single moment I had, I'd push play, and I would sit there and go like this. And I was like, they're stunting my, they're stunting my playing. I was so mad at them. And I'm like, you guys are stopping me from being a good guitar player. Six weeks I didn't play guitar because I was in rehab. You didn't let me. And people were like, you're probably a really good guitar player. 
<laughs> I actually learned how to play air drums really well doing that too. I'm a great air drummer. Decent drummer. So that's 16 years old, and then how did you get into professional music from there? Um, I had already been in bands, and so like I guess it was like it was probably like Kiss that I saw perform, and I was all, those guys are having fun. That's they're jamming, and you know I guess like throwing bras. It's I guess that was cool too. But and the makeup and the clothes. Yeah, the it was just like larger than life and. The, all that stuff. I didn't necessarily want to wear like all makeup, but I was into like the moves. So my buddy and I, Ben Gaither, my homie, we had this is going back to about thirteen, and I so I had played this and that, and I played instruments or whatever. But we had tennis rackets that we took cardboard and cut out guitar shapes, taped the guitar shape to the tennis racket, watched um, Friday night videos and Night Flight on USA Network, and yeah. like MTV was slightly alive at that point. Yeah, probably a year or two into MTV, 84. Yeah, I think they started in 83, 82, 83. So we would rock out with our, in the mirrors and stuff, right? Rocking out. And one day Ben's all, dude, what if we got real guitars? And I was like. <laughs> You're blowing my mind. I was like, oh my God, dude. So we got real guitars. He got a real guitar and then he got a guitar teacher. And I got a real guitar and I had my cousin Mike who was like, I was just like noodling. Just rocking, look, making moves. And he goes, dude, you know how to play that thing? And I'm all, no, nah, bro, not really. And he goes, check this out. And this is about all he can still do 30 years later. Is He goes, put one finger here. And this is what I do all day now. <laughs> put one finger here and one finger here and play those two notes together. Just those two. And, he, and I go, uh, and he goes, that's a power chord. He goes, 99% of rock and roll songs use power chords the whole time. And he goes, so then take it and move it to different places on the neck. And I and I literally taught myself in the moment because I was already musical. I went, I went, and I taught myself Rocky like a hurricane, right then and there. Yeah. Here I am. I was like, I'm the greatest guitar player in the world. I played that one riff, and I was like, I'm the best ever. So, and I went on, so I had bands, but I, I got into a very, very rebellious mindset. Again, I was starting to use drugs, I was disconnecting, um, and so I was really into metal, and I was like, I wanted to be faster and more complicated than any other stuff, which what it did was it uh, made us obsolete. It put us out here where some people that were like, they like to listen to, we call it math metal, math. Uh, it could now, and then it turned into meth metal, but it could be math metal. <laughs> and so it was like seven minute songs with, you know, 55 riffs in it that some people liked and most people were like, I don't know what you guys are doing. Oh, wow. Is there, a, is there a, a chorus? <laughs> and I was like, no, bro. It basically meant I didn't know how to write a song. And so what? So I did that for a while. And then basically when I became, uh, when I was about 20 or tw uh, 21 years old, I um, was this like local, I don't know, legend, but people knew me because I had this right hand, really fast right hand metal player. So this band called Wrathchild America, one of their, who, they were actual local heroes that got a record deal and were touring with Pantera and all these big bands. One of the guitar players broke his hand, punch, drunk, punched something. And then I got the call, hey, you want to do six shows with Wrathchild America? I'm all, hell yeah, when is it? Next week. Oh, shit, I got to learn 15 songs in a week. Oh, wow. So I did. Um, and I went on tour with these guys. I met this guy, Shannon Larkin, who's the drummer of, uh, who was the drummer of Wrathchild America. And he's like, you're a badass, dude. Because we didn't use the word rad then because I was from Virginia. Now all I say is rad. Because um, now you're from California. Yeah, because yeah, now I'm from California. He's like, you need to be in my side project. You need to be in this band with, with me and my friend Tumor. He's the bass player. He goes, he goes we're called motherfucking pit bulls. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> and cool. I listened to it, and I'll, even if it was terrible, I was still going to be like, absolutely, because yeah. <laughs> he's amazing, Shannon Larkin. So you um, just kept saying yes, yes, yes to life. Mm-hmm. So Shannon and I, we were working together for a bit on uh, on that, um, and then Shannon got a gig with the band Ugly Kid Joe. Okay, so you may remember they had a song called uh, "I Hate Everything About You." Uh, I hate everything about you. Uh, 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 uh. All right. They also did a cover of Cats in the Cradle All right. by uh, Harry Chapin, okay. written by Sandy Chapin, I'll have you know. The, oh. His wife wrote it about, uh, hey, father and son. Mm. Isn't that amazing? That, I'm talking yeah, about I didn't know that. S- Sandy Chapin wrote, wrote right, Cats in the Cradle. Son, so. so they were huge. I thought they were clowns from Santa Barbara because they were clowning. And, me and Shannon's like, I'm moving to California. I'm joining Ugly Kid Joe. And me and all my metalhead bros were all like, oh, man, really? Those clowns? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, dude, I got I to gotta go. I got to take the next step. And I said, "Yo, make sure if you if you know if you hear anything, let me know. Tell people I I'm, I want to come out and play." A few months later, he goes, "Hey man, uh, be ready. There's a band called Snot. <laughs> Tumor just joined Snot, so he already brought his friend <laughs> Tumor Snot. <laughs> he already brought our our boys Tumor out, and he joined Snot in Santa Barbara. Easter Sunday, 1995, I get a phone call. Uh, my girlfriend comes in. And she goes, "Hey, somebody's on the phone. I'm playing Sega Genesis uh, NBA Live at the moment." <laughs> She goes, hey. I get the picture. I'm seeing the whole scene. Yeah, somebody's on the phone for you. I answer the phone. Hey, hello. Sonny, yeah. I've been trying to get a hold of you all day. Who's this? This is Lynn. And I go, that sounds vaguely familiar. What do you want? And Lynn says, I want metal. And I go, you called the right place. (laughs) He screams like this amazing, like, yeah, into the phone. And this is the lead singer of Snot. And they say, we want you to come join our band. So I go, send me a tape. Don't don't email me the files. Send me a tape because it's 1995. Uh, I had decided before I got off the phone call that I was going to go um, or come, if you will. Um, and uh, so I joined this band Snot in 1995. I came out. My drug addiction really kicked in. I didn't stay sober when I was 16. I, I faked it. I literally, um, if anyone's listening that's in 12-step program and they hear the term fake it till you make it, uh, run away from the person that says it. There is no faking it. Uh, not Pema Trodron, but... Um, What's his name? I can't remember his name. Ashanti? No. Mm. This guy says, there's no faking in his spirituality. It's that you either do it or you don't. It's like Yoda. Right. You can you can try. You right. can try. There is try. Yoda said, there's the do or do not, there is no try. No, doing is trying. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell people in, in Rock to Recovery. I'm like, if you're trying it, you're doing it. Right. A guy goes, oh, I don't, I, I only know like, I say, do you play guitar? He goes, uh, I mean, I only know, I know chords. I go, that means you play guitar. That means you know how to play the guitar. You know six chords. You know how to play the majority of pop songs. So, so you're a glass half full guy. I suppose so. Yeah. Yesterday when I when I had her suitcase, I was like, oh, oh this is only half full, huh? And I was all, hmm. but I said to say only, but I was like, because it was light, so it was only half full. I, and I yeah, I was like, I guess I'm that guy. I acknowledged myself yesterday as that guy. So um, uh, when I joined Snot, you know, so I didn't stay sober. I faked it, meaning I lied. Yeah. I didn't act as if, which I know it's a very clever little rhyme, fake mm. it till you make it. I'm sorry, was everybody in the band sober? No. You, so why fake it? Like why? No, no, when I was 16, when I went to, to rehab. To get out of program. Oh, to get out of rehab. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, when I went okay. to treatment, yeah. I, just to, so I could take the heat off me. Okay. So yeah. mom and dad would be like, yeah. he's doing the thing, yeah. and, and whatever. So I faked it. I lied. And I drank. And, and at that point, when I was a kid, I was only an addict, don't you know? So I don't have a problem with alcohol, right. which in parentheses means 
so I will drink it. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm a guy who says I'm not an alcoholic, I'm only an addict, yep. that means I can drink. If I'm a person that says I'm an alcoholic, I'm not an addict, that means I can use drugs. In the mind, it's what it means. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Alcohol's a drug. La, la, la. It's the same thing. So I ended up not staying sober when I was 16. So when I hit, when I came to California, I mean, it was introduced to meth. I mean, we met each other. I was not someone went, Sonny, this is meth. I was like, hey, there's meth. And, <laughs> and it really became a problem, like all relationships. I ended up crashing and burning with snot. We did, we did a record, we were a mess. And our lead singer was killed in a car crash in 1998, due directly as the result of um, drugs. Um, he was T-boned on the 101 freeway in, on December 11th, 1998. Uh, along with the, his dog, there's a tattoo right there of him, and so they were killed, and so that band was over. I joined another band called Amen, only band I have a tattoo of. Um, talk about a just a nightmare train wreck, I, and I was one of them. You know, I was like smoking meth, and I hit bottom in 2001. Thankfully, right down the road here, when I finally hit bottom, and my girlfriend at the time said, "Get out, your dog can stay, but you got to go." Um, I picked up the phone and I dialed 411. I said, "Alcoholics Anonymous." And I went to a meeting, a men's meeting. Uh, well, I went to a meeting, and then someone told me about a men's meeting that I went to the next day, and I was like, you got to help me. I was desperate. I was so desperate that I would have done anything. The man said to me, my first sponsor said to me, are you willing to go to any lengths to stay sober? Not to get sober, to stay sober. And I said, yes. And I didn't know what it meant. But some people go, well, I don't know, man. I'm not going to like join some cult or something. I was like, well, I don't care what I have to do. I don't want to fucking die today. And I don't, I don't know how to live sober, but I don't, and I don't know how to stop doing drugs. I don't know how to, I can't live without it, but I don't know how to, but, you know, I couldn't do either, either one. I couldn't go on, but I didn't know how to stop. You know, I get weary and so sick of trying. I'm tired of living Oh, but I'm scared I'm scared of dying But that old man So once you were in relationship with sobriety, how did that affect your relationships in general? And I quit the band I was in. Quit the band. That was your first step. <laughs> yep. Basically, I realized that it was not good for my, not conducive to my serenity. I did go to Australia on on uh, when I had 18 days. I went on a tour of uh, Australia. I had hit, I had hit bottom sufficiently at that time, to where I was not. I didn't know. I know now that I was placed in a position of neutrality. I was not going to drink and use. Uh, I went to a couple meetings. I got 30 days over there. I went to. Was that like a mental health facility? And I get up there and I'm like, Woo! I got 30 days. Sorry if that was loud in there. I was like, yeah, and they were looking at me like, who is this motherfucker? You know, and I was like, yeah. And I'm playing rock shows and I'm feeling good, but I left the band because it was not conducive to serenity. And I went back to work as a vet tech. I'm a veterinary technician when I have to be. I love animals, as I mentioned before. Um, and so I worked. I was the best vet tech I'd ever been in my life. Poor veterinarians, and, and they have a soft spot in their heart for uh, drug addicts and uh, musicians. Because I could get a job. I could walk down the street right here, any of these animal hospitals right now and get a job. They're like, please come and work here. You're a train wreck, come and work here. But, um, and so I, I literally, what I did was I made amends to all the places that I had walked out on, that I would just not shown up for work because I was like, ah, I'm just doing it so I can get more drugs. I literally walked out, so I was making amends to them. I would do every single bath that they asked me to do. I would do anything. Right. And I got a raise, $5 an hour raise. They asked me to be assistant supervisor. Boom, I got another gig 
finally, the first gig that I had really in recovery, I was invited back into. And the first question the drummer of that band asked me was, hey man, because we've known each other for years, he's like, hey bro, what's your party situation, quote unquote. And I said, oh, I've been sober for 10 months. He goes, cool, you want to join our band? I was like, yeah, we're going on tour in a month. Here, here's the 22 songs you have to learn. I was like, great. And I was, it was 2002, and I did not, there was no smartphones, so I went, and I went to meetings all the time. I did use this thing called a phone book. It's actually a book with phone numbers in it. I know. And you have to go and... I remember there used to be a little blue one for AA, too, that had, like, all the meetings and nice. numbers in them. Just a little tiny... But you had to go to an AA meeting, really, to find right. it. Right. So I'd go to, into hotel lobbies and be like, do you have a... I mean, one time I was in Buffalo, New York, and I had... I think it was 2003. I went in and I was like, um, I need a whatever directory. And they're like, uh, they're like, the phone book? Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the guy goes, what number do you need? I said, I need a number for AA. And he goes, oh, wait. And he had a directory. And he hands me the directory in Buffalo, New York. And I go, I don't know where any of these freaking meetings are. And I go, huh, there's a taxi stand outside. I'll go ask one of the taxis. You guys, talk about divine intervention. I don't know how this works. I went to the third cab for some reason. I'm kind of a numbers guy, and three is like one of my numbers. So I went to the third cab, and I'm like, excuse me. And he goes, oh, you got to go to the first one. That's the line. I go, no, I just need to see. Do you, can you tell me which one of these is closest? And he goes, oh, you go to meetings, huh? And I'm all, yeah, yeah, been sober for a year, whatever. And he goes, yeah, I've been sober for 17 years. He goes, how about this? I'm, I'm Bob, whatever his name is, Bill or Bob or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And We're I'm all like, friends hey, right? Yeah. I'm like, hey. And he goes, how about this, man? How about I come pick you up after work and I'll take you to a meeting and then we'll go have dinner with my sponsor. And I said, okay. This is a man, he could have been an axe murderer. Yes. But I just said, yes. I had the most amazing meeting. He Sorry, took me out. An to, angel in your path, oh my God. Sure. And so many of these have happened. Um, and so I stayed sober on tour. Eventually, uh, I left that band because the singer was also a train wreck. Uh, I joined a band called Seven Dust, which was probably at that time was the biggest career move I made. I was, did three albums with them. And like, none of this, I, like I was on fire. We were talking about it last night. I was, I was my like, my, I was best physically fit. I was playing better than I ever played, whatever. Going to meetings all the time. But there was still something that was untapped within me. And I was still like, I'm supposed to be doing more. What else can I do? And so I got replaced by the original guitar player, much like Wes Gear did. And then um, I went to school as, a, uh, audio, as an audio engineer. I uh, got certified in audio engineering at Musicians Institute. I uh, started producing bands. Stanks over the whole time still, what all that. And then my friend from Ugly Kid Joe, the singer, uh, the drummer, my friend Shannon, calls me up 2011. He goes, hey, man, we're, gonna, uh, we're getting the band back together, bro. He plays in a band called Godsmack, which is a really big metal band nowadays. They sell platinum albums. But he's like, we're going to do another record, and we want you to engineer and record it. I said, great, I got a studio, we can go, let's go. So I started engineering and, and recording this record, ended up co-producing with uh, the other guitar player that I ended up touring in his place because he's a producer that doesn't tour. So I ended up playing with these guys. Whit Crane, the singer, my best friend, was like, hey man, um, when we're done with this, you're coming on tour with us. He's like, you're not going to sit in the studio and turn knobs and get fat. <laughs> you're going to come on tour with us. And that's when I went on that tour where I went to Istanbul, Jerusalem, uh, Germany, all these places. That, where they did not have meetings was Sofia, Bulgaria, and Bucharest, Romania. Though I think they do have meetings in Bucharest now. But three, four years ago, they did not. So I went on, this was my next step forward. Um, meanwhile, 2013, my dog, my favorite dog ever, Buckley, died in January. My dad died in June of uh, multiple myeloma bone cancer. My marriage ended in, in November. Uh, I had this gnarly thumb injury. My right thumb almost got ripped off my hand. Uh, I had this car crash. Right before I went back to Australia, 
in April and um, all this traumatic stuff happened um, and I thankfully stayed sober when I was in Australia I stayed for an, an extra like 12 days where I met this beautiful woman next to me at an animal sanctuary go figure and um, I went to meetings there but I tell you guys it's a wonder I did not drink uh, I can't I've never I've never been the guy that has said it wasn't like I was gonna drink or anything like I had it I wasn't gonna like I'm gonna convince you that right. I wasn't gonna I'll tell you right now I don't know how close to drinking I was probably very close so you had drink. the impulse you had the cravings or you had the I don't have any cravings because I uh, the fuck it attitude you know it's just the mine was like I don't know what I don't know see I'm not that's the thing when I say I don't know you just don't know that's what, what I'm saying I don't know happening. how close I'm not conscious of the fuck it attitude. I'm not conscious that I was like. Well, that's why you don't. It's a not thinking. That's right. Know, and then aspect. that, and then the mind, the alcoholic section like of that. the mind, because yep. the mind isn't the enemy. Some people in, in AA go, my my ego, my mind is the is the enemy. I go, no, no, no. Your mind is doing all kinds of wondrous things. The enemy lives in the mind. It's a big house, and he has a room. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the mind itself is not the enemy. It's created by well, well, and you know again sort of the Eastern philosophy, Buddhist perspective is that it's neutral, that it's neither good nor bad, it's whatever you put on it, it's neither evil nor Ooh, Shakespeare said, saintly. nothing is good or bad, it's thinking that makes it so. Right, exactly. Oh. Busting out with Shakespeare. Willie yeah, Shakespeare. We love it. Oh we love that. Bill W., Bill S., you know. So do you, <laughs> do you use, is Rock to Recovery, or you in particular, use AA principles in the work that you guys are using, or do you tailor it to whatever approach the specific treatment facility uses? How does that work for you? We definitely lean toward 12-step programs. We are, we are all sober through the 12 steps. Um, of AA in general, um, I don't have anything certainly against any of the other A's, NA, CA, whatever. Um, but AA, uh, especially in Southern California, is very open and liberal, and all are welcomed, mostly. If you can you still get those crotchety guys where you go, oh, you have to identify as an addict. It's about alcohol. And it's like, really? The book says that alcohol is but a symptom right. that causes in conditions are the problem, bro. But you probably knew that because you've been here for 42 years, and you're miserable, and you want to kill yourself. I don't want to be you, and I don't want what you have. Right. The book says alcohol is but a symptom. The drink, the actual drinking is just a symptom of the problem which centers in our minds, right? Exactly. So we do lean toward 12-step programs. Um, and the principles, yes, I practice the principles in all my fairs as best I can, 12, the actual 12th, 12th step. Um, but we don't. I don't push it by any means. I go, I tell people, I practice the 12 steps. This is how it's changed my life. Uh, and I, I say stuff like, if you identify as an addict or alcoholic, you may do so. If you're, you know, I, I, it's an offer. Uh, I you try to practice the principles. I'm not pushing on anybody. I'm not, we're not the fishers of men's souls. Right. You know, I'm not out trying knocking on doors going, you, have you heard the good news? <laughs> hey, hey. Yeah. What do you say about people? This comes across almost weekly, for me at least. I do a lot of couples therapy where one person is in the program and the other person is actively drinking. Ooh. What, what, what was the question? What do you think about that? <laughs> I think it's pro probably common, and I think it's, uh, I don't know what I think of, I mean, I'd have to be specific by a case, I imagine. Um, I know that the person can stay sober. Um, they may have to leave. They probably would have to leave the situation, unless the other person is willing to try something different, um, but it's certainly not uncommon. That yeah. happens a lot in rehab, too, right, right. where everybody gets 
sober and works a good program and then comes home to someone who says, oh yeah, I'll support you. And little by little, you know, the alcohol or whatever, the routines come back into to play. Yeah. And, uh, that, do you find that? that yeah, comes, actually, yeah. I was just thinking about some of our clients yeah, that had that situation um, that we knew in the treatment facility that they were going back into a relationship, a primary relationship where the other person was still using something and that's really difficult. Well, I call it the lover in the relationship, right? So either it's how the they came they together, found each other, mm. used together, then, you know, sh that person broke up with the lover, which is the, you know, drugs or alcohol. And, you know, it, it was definitely a threesome, right? It was part of their relationship. So now it goes back to their relationship one still has a lover and the well, other it was certainly easier to be a smoker when I was in relationship with somebody who was also a smoker oh, yeah. So, yeah it definitely yeah. gives it the okay it creates creates the safe space yeah. my old addiction change the So I'm wondering what your experience has been with radical acceptance and how you came to understand this term and this approach to... Well, first of all, it's rad. <laughs> Ickle. <laughs> Sorry. Rad is a thing. Um, yes. Uh, uh, it's almost like the what we call the serenity prayer, um, which could be called the wisdom prayer because I kind of need to have the wisdom to know if I can or cannot change a situation. And if I can't, specifically change that particular thing, then what I consider to be radical acceptance is, okay, it's like that, so what can I do? That's like that. It's not, it's not a resignation. It's not like, oh, well, it's just, that's just how it is. Yeah, I can't. And I just give up on it. So I don't know why I bother. It's not that. It's okay, so then what can we do? Right? And can move from there. So, and then much like in Rock to Recovery, when I show somebody a bass line or a guitar, and it's too much, I go, okay. So we can't, we're not doing that, so what can we do? Oh, we can do these two notes, right? So it's what can I actually do with, within that? I think that's kind of what, I don't, can't remember the interview where it was that, uh, where I said that, but. Yeah, I don't know what the concept mm -hmm. or what the context of that comment was, but it stood out to me because yeah. that's a concept that we talk about a lot and I'm always interested in. It's because we're resisting. We're going, no, it shouldn't be this way. It sh but it is. Yeah. So now what? Mm -hmm. Right. Right, and instead of just going again, not instead of resigning, you go. Okay, this is just how it is. Okay, this is how it is. So then set it over there, and, that, and you go. That's like that. Like my this machine does certain things, and it doesn't do other things. And I don't ask it to bark, yeah. like my dog. I go to my dog, and I go bark instead. But, but it can bark. I'm just. It, are you right? Technology is right Just like my keyboard could yeah. bark too, yeah. if I wanted it to. There was a couple things on here about rock recovery, and I know we, you know, yeah. we expound upon a lot of stuff, yeah. which is fantastic. Um, I'm starting to think about Wes. I'm like, oh man, what would Wes want me to say? But we're already an hour and a half into the interview. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm just so, kidding. No, but right. as we're, you know, 
this is a really good. I'm glad that you're coming back to that because. Also, I, I want to know if anybody comes back to you after their experience with Rock to Recovery, what you've heard, yeah, um, the feedback from people that you've worked with. It's generally, generally speaking, it is people's favorite group, like literally their favorite group. And they're like, I had no idea that it was going to be like this. And I'm like, I'm so happy that I get to be the dude that brings that, I had that like, wow, this was amazing moment to you. I'm grateful. Like, I'm not like, yes, we are awesome. I go, wow how blessed are we that we get to do that like we're the dudes that get to do this okay cool but yeah I mean people shine like they I mean lyricists I have a a, a particular group where uh, all this woman does is write lyrics and then she and in the group she'll text them to these two or three singers and they'll sit all together and they'll and she just sits there all proud because they're singing her lyrics and, and like and working together and she's like you know I had stopped writing until this group and I'm like and then this one girl goes you know I mean, she, she, I guess a girl, 19 years old. She's, she's like, I've always loved singing, and not until I was able to do it in this safe setting could I then go out and do it. You know, she does it on, she's young, so she's starting to throw she promenade. She's like, I did an open mic night. Hey, I was in Hollywood, and this guy was singing Sublime on the street corner, so I went over and just started singing with him and put it on Snapchat. And I'm like, fearlessness. It's giving them that ability to let go and mm. be free and play and discover, I guess, the childhood. Um, like everyone ha- as a child had favorite things and I think going back to that is where you can really truly f- be yourself and be true to who you are and be free yeah yeah mm. I love that it's like what you're saying is it's kind of like awakening if if not an old dream it's it's a new dream mm. even if it's an old dream it can be a new dream as, as well that they're now experiencing themselves in the world as a sober person and their focus isn't necessarily all on that it can be on this other part of their lives you know you mentioned marianne williamson one of you guys did earlier and that inaugural speech that uh, nelson mandela got uh gave that where he quoted her where um it i believe that in rock recovery what we do is we offer people to the opportunity to let their light shine because we're so concerned about i don't want to shine too bright because then people might think something about me they might think that I think I'm better than or and she goes there's nothing enlightened about shrinking in the presence of others she goes that's nothing enlightened about that she's like who are you to not be uh, glorious or beautiful or whatever she goes it's it's your duty to do that and you give other people permission to do it because of that what's coming up for you Jess yeah I was just gonna say there's a quote and I can't remember the whole thing but it begins with it's not our darkness that that's it. That's us. it. That's the same thing. It's the light. That's Marianne Williamson. Yeah. Who are we to be great and powerful? It's not our, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. It's that we are powerful beyond belief. That one. Quote unquote Marianne Williamson. That's the exact same yeah. quote. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's the one where she goes, "You're not. There's nothing enlightened." She's like, "That's the thing. People are scared to let go because of the pressures." Again, I think it's about society saying, "You know, you're you need to be con- conservative or you need to." follow the rules or you need to play do grow this up. and that and yeah. grow Small. up and have responsibilities and buy a house and have a family 1. and do all these children. things like yeah. one thing after the other whereas um finding that freedom to just be like well i want to do this who cares that i'm 32 and single and you know i want to go travel or i want to become an artist or i want to go to university at the age of 54 and study a science degree like I think having that choice and freedom and play 
is what um, people need to discover for themselves. And I, from what I've learned about Rockstar Recovery and music and art therapy and all of that creative play, it, it does tie in with your childhood, um, I guess, that, that freedom as a child to do whatever you want and play. Well, there's the possibility when you're uh, that freedom that you're talking about that it's that freedom is is the seed of possibility right mm. like when you're a kid there's the possibility everybody asks you what do you want to be when you grow up yeah and you can answer whatever you want because when you grow up is not five minutes time. from now yeah you know that there's still like I could do anything uh -huh. and we need to really tap into that every day of our lives and remind ourselves like you said if you're 50 you can go I mean I know somebody who at 80 degrees got her doctorate <laughs> her phd in in theater you know at 80 degrees 80 degrees 80 degrees that's 80, amazing 80 years old that was incredible i work at the university of melbourne and it's 80 degrees outside <laughs> that was amazing. Is it, isn't it like 27 it's more like <laughs> celsius Sure. Yeah, I work at the University of Melbourne and there was a 94-year-old enrolling into a PhD yeah. in medicine. And I was just awesome. like, damn, that is so rad. Yeah. That is so awesome. Like, <laughs> the, being too old, using a age, number, time, like, it's just a restriction that people put on themselves. Like, I, you know, I'm too old to, for that or I'm, it's past, my, my time has passed to do that. But it's like, what? Who says so? Yeah. Right. You're the one who's in control of your life to make those choices. And you know, there's something called decision therapy or therapy, and it really is just making a decision. And so, with all the sadness that goes on in the world, hello. I mean, there's just so much sadness in the world right now. Um, you know, we can decide to focus on all the sadness and the fear that goes around it, or we can make a decision to focus on the strengths and the beauty and what I call following the breadcrumbs or celebrating somebody's strengths. Uh, and music is just such an amazing way to do it. You know? The other day, after all this insanity started kicking off with the shootings and the, the all that, Snoop Dogg and The Game, who are two obviously two huge hip-hop artists, called out to all real men mm -hmm. to go to LAPD right. and to have a peaceful gathering. He didn't even call it a protest. It was a gathering. Yep. The game blew my mind. Did you guys watch the video footage of this? I posted that. Yeah, it's amazing. So the decision to... And I didn't post anything about any of it until um, I posted something that this guy, Prince EA, I think it's how you pronounce it on... on he's like an inspirational um, spoken word artist, um, African-American, and he... And he and he, and he'll do these rad spoken word like beat poet kind of things, but he'll have people he have an Asian child, a, a, a black woman, a ninety four year old man, white man, and you know, all these people, and they'll they'll be mouthing the words of the poem. And so he did this thing about race. So I about it doesn't it's not a thing, it shouldn't be whatever. And so I posted that and I posted the game and Snoop Dogg and what this, the game was like, he said the most prophetic, loving, compassionate stuff. And this is a this is a guy who was a gangster. I'm talking about I mean. And they were with the LAPD, and they were, and, and there was brothers from you know the the uh, Farrakhan's homies or whatever with the boat, you know, and uh, and they were all there together, and it was, and I hope, and I was Rips, like, the blood, I was like, that's the, the direction to go in, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. And so I was, and it was, and it, again, it was based, really it was based on the connection musically connected to those people. 
I was thinking, I want to check in with you guys about an exercise for Dr. Wendy's dream germ- journal exercise. And I thought... Dream journal? Yeah. Dr. Wendy's dream journal. Yeah, so every episode we talk to people about having a goals journal or a dream journal and you know it doesn't have to be deer journal today i sat on you know whatever under a tree and it can't be but it doesn't have yeah to be. i mean it's bullet points it's sketching it's you know whatever it is that you want to do but putting your emotions putting your thoughts into it and um thinking outside the box but you know making observations um maybe a beautiful spiritual quote but you know i was thinking about just all the incredible music that is linked up to memories and so maybe one of the things that mm. they can do through you know is, is just write a list of all the songs that brought you any kind of feeling any kind of feeling it's you'd be surprised when you sit and it's like a meditation and relax or even you know my husband will sit for hours and he just watches YouTube after. I mean, he but their videos or songs, videos of music, or yeah. music, live I mean, stuff, and and it'll take him. You know, it's like surfing a wave. Not that I surf, but you know, it will. We'll start with hip hop and R and B, and then we'll go into some jazz, and then he'll go into some hardcore rap, and then Santana. I mean, it's just and all these different music mm-hmm. uh, and emotions, and so um, you know, make a list of some beautiful, meaningful. Uh, you know, music. Yeah, like three to right. five songs or whatever that are. Right, whatever. Or however many, yeah, yeah. Yeah, D- design your own playlist, mix yeah. tape. For your pl- mix. I love what that. People now know I'm gonna do that later. That's great. Yeah, I I love I love that. And, and I, I want to put back. You know, let's do those mix tapes again. I think I it's still have to my mix tapes. I need to transfer them oh, onto digital. I don't have a tape deck anymore. Yeah. So I wanted to also ask as something that somebody might want to do for the dream journal exercise how do you approach the songwriting part of it with with uh, somebody because maybe that's something somebody could be working on in their dream journal how do you write lyrics can i do this real quick baby can you go feed my meter you know you know where it is remember where it all is i do and then you can get back in here safely right the mean streets of where are we brentwood westwood west la west la you're the best thank you (laughs) they're so cute i can't handle it i know um Okay, so uh, as far as the um, songwriting in a rock recovery session, it it's, depends. Some people are like, I'll write lyrics, like right away. Some will go, I'll write lyrics, but what's our topic? And then I can base it on what we talked about, walking through fear. Or, you know, uh, it, I mean, really, it's anything. It's like this lady wrote a song the other day um, at one of the sessions I was in where it was like, uh, she was like, kiss that old junkie goodbye, the junkie that's inside of her. And she was so quiet and she was, and everything was kind of like, nah, nah, nah. Like when she, when we check in, I make them use the microphone just because it's fun. And she was like, oh, I said her name, and then uh, I'm a bit sober. The song, <laughs> thank you. And I was like, ah, oh, actually, you're supposed to say that day was specifically if you could be anywhere with anyone doing anything, use your imagination. Anywhere, anyone, anything. What would you? Where would you be? What, who would you be with? What would you be doing? And she, and so she told us. But then when it came down to it, and I was like, and I had a pretty big group, eight or ten people, and I was like, anybody want to write lyrics? And I was like, will you? And she goes, yeah. And I was like, I did not expect that. And I hand her my book. And she goes over and sits in the corner and just starts ripping through words. I had a singer already who was writing words and, and singing, but she was writing lyrics. And at the last minute, you guys, another client walked in who had just been detoxing for two days. And she happens to be a singer. The girl who was writing handed her the lyrics. 
two verses, two choruses. You know, one singer singer did one verse, one chorus, the other did one, and it was on fire. Two females too. I love a, a female like strong female vocal, and they killed it. And I was like, this is my job. But the approach to it, I don't know if I can say uh, use this technique because I'm really we all of us are so. It's every single. It's moment by moment. It's That's in the moment. It is, and it's the combination of people. And is it going this way? Is it going that way? Is it dark? Is it light? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it hip hop? Is it jazz? Is it, you know, it's it really depends. Well, I love that as a prompt. So somebody could use anything that they've heard today, if they're listening, as a prompt for, you know, writing some lyrics. But also, who who do you want to be with? Where would you want to be? And what would you want to be doing? Yeah. And just writing on that and trying to write lyrics. Or how, how do you write a song by yourself? Generally, I come up with parts first. I'll just be playing, or I'll hear something in my head. Um, and sometimes I've, I've written stuff in rock recovery, and I've gone, I'm going to use that. That's mine. I wrote that, so I'm musically going to use it. And also, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with a couple of parts. Um, and I'll write, you know, long songs or short, it depends on what it is. But um, I'll generally write a, a couple of guitar parts first. And then I'll be inspired uh, 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 by lyrics. But I also have in my phone, I have l long lists of like just like phrases that I can piece together. And I've done it. We did it the other day at this place in Santa Monica where I used this whole verse. That This girl's a wonderful singer, but she's like, I don't have any words. I'm all here. Here's some. Mm -hmm. And she sang my verses, and, and then we did a chorus. And the great thing about Rock Recovery, I know this is late in the interview or whatever, hopefully people are still listening, is we get people singing together as well. Like we did a, the chorus, which I wrote, which I've used in many sessions, is fear is, a fear is a lie. Grief will subside. From loss, I can't hide. From pain, I arise. Something like that. And everybody was like, fear is a lie. Grief will subside. That kind of, and seven people are singing it, and it's acoustic, and I'm just and I wasn't even playing. I had two acoustic guitar players. I was doing this, like nodding my head and smiling. I sang a little bit here and there, but I just was like, "This is for you." And sometimes people go, "Well, why don't you play this or why don't you sing this?" I go, "Because I I'm not here for me. I'm here for you." And they go, oh, "Damn it, <laughs> okay." And then they sing, but that's the thing. And so you're so we're not only um, tapping into the creative brain. Uh, both hemispheres are being engaged. Oxytocin is released. You're getting into the moment. Some people go, um, the thing I like about music is that it gets me out of myself. And I go, that's an interesting way to look at it. Aren't there times where it actually gets you into yourself? Exactly. Stay actually, grounded. I find myself. Find your center. I get lost. I get found. Yeah. Same, t same thing, different context. And so, but it also um, brings people together. Right, the community. There was, there's been sessions that I've done where I've like connected with somebody. Like, yeah, we wrote lyrics together. We're like, oh my God, it was so killer. And at the end of it, they go, what was your name again? <laughs> and I go, Sonny. And they're like, I'm sorry. And I say, don't be. That's, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's symbolic of it doesn't matter mm -hmm. what my name is. We don't even have to speak the same language mm -hmm. to play a beautiful a song tumult. together. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. music transcends really does so is there anything else that we should know or that you think that we maybe missed about rock to recovery i mean we've talked kind of about the creative process how it helps with addiction the mentality mindset and wesley my sobriety and, and rock to recovery has changed my relationship with music completely um i i no longer rely on 
on music as a means to pay my bills. Um, which this is a tough part for musicians is an artist in general. Uh, but having your art be a product. So this means something to me. Yeah, but nobody wants to buy it. And then they, oh, and you're like, oh my God, I'm worth nothing. Right. It's my soul. My soul doesn't mean anything. Mm. So uh, I still do write my own music, but I don't. And I did, we did a record, Ugly Kid Joe actually did a record last year. We put it out in October last year. Um, and we all came together. There were seven of us because there's five members of the band and then my, plus myself, who I start kind of came on in 2011, and then a drummer who tours live with us who um, we all wrote and recorded this album together, like in real time, almost like a Rodge Recovery session wow. where we brought music together. We pieced it all together in the studio. In three, in less, I was only there for five days, but the whole experience was three weeks. And we came up with this beautiful body of work that I love, right? Um, so I still do release albums and I still tour occasionally, but my relationship with music has, has become more of, uh, of a tool of connection with people. That's, it's com and it's completely changed. I say that when people go, wow, you're doing this thing, I go, yeah, it's completely changed my relationship with music. Completely. It's spiritual. So spiritual. Yeah. So where might people learn more? How do people learn more about uh, Rock to Recovery and also the effects of music on us psychologically? Do you have any resources or anything that you ever recommend to anybody? www.rocktorecovery.org you can even write rock the number two recovery. We have that one as well. I think we have .com as well, but we started as a nonprofit, so it's .org, rocktorecovery.org. Um, there's a bunch of stuff. There's a TED Talk. I can't remember who did it or, or whatever, but on the effects of music, of actually playing music, not just listening to, but... but I'll put it in the show notes. But playing music. Um, and there's fireworks that go off. They've done all these beautiful studies. Now, right. thank you, darling. They've done all these awesome studies of, like, yeah. Uh, neural pathways. You were saying it earlier. I mean, just like, just like the brain's going. The, the, the stuff that they that they've done. Yeah, the cortisol lowers all kinds of yeah. chemicals and stress hormones. And, Oxytocin and gets dumped. We're like, oh. Feels yeah, good. they've really noticed that um, the love hormone. Yeah. Yeah, the love molecule, the cuddle chemical. The cuddle drug. By the way, we had a um, a band in Rock to Recovery. We called ourselves the Cuddle Chemicals. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's fun too because we make up these rad band names, and uh, and so by the way too we do upload them to SoundCloud. There's a something. Uh, Can anybody access those <clears throat> on SoundCloud? Absolutely, yeah. Hip, all HIPAA laws are, are acknowledged. Nobody's saying my name is blah blah blah, and I'm at this rehab. It's all anonymous, mm -hmm. uh, in accordance with HIPAA laws. Um, but what that does is you can, as a as a person who's in treatment, there could be this shameful, seemingly shameful experience. They go, hey mom, hey honey. Hey, sister, brother, cousin, you know, nephew, niece, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband. I, I did this song. I wrote this song about us. Mom, I wrote this song about you. Uh, mother says to her daughter, I wrote this song about you. I had a mother in a, a, a woman who her daughter had just been killed like three weeks prior to that. We wrote this beautiful song about her daughter. I had no idea until we were done. That that was what that, it was that, about? Yeah. And she cried and hugged me and said, thank you. My daughter died three weeks ago. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I get, I thank you. Right? So these things. So, and then, there, so if you go to SoundCloud, we have 4,500 songs on there. So it says the band name, the song title, the treatment center, and then the group, the, and the date, and the facilitator. There's, again, there's nine of us, so there's lots of songs up there. But people get to go listen. And, you know, I get clients that I have relationships with as far as 
we know each other. We write music together. Um, it's okay for us to communicate outside of the treatment center by way of the treatment center's knowledge and, and rules. And I get clients that text me and go, why haven't you put, our, put our song up yet? <laughs> In fact, one of our clients was leaving the other day and, and I had like lagged on putting, uploading the song. She goes, she didn't have to say a word because this is like the second song that we had done since I put the one up. And she goes, Sonny. <laughs> and that's all she had to say. And I'm like, I'll put it up tonight. And I actually did it yesterday morning while you were taking a nap. <laughs> but I was like, I'll put, and I texted her. I'm like, guess what? And she's like, the song is up. Yay! The pride that they take in <sighs> celebrating. And they show it to their friends. They yeah, show it to it's something so tangible that they can show, too, when somebody's wondering, how's your recovery going? And you can sort of explain, but... Hey, I heard you, heard, hey, I heard you just got out of rehab. How was that? It's pretty cool. I wrote three songs. Yeah, check this and out. Now I, you I'm might want to listen to them. I'm taking guitar lessons. Check out this hip-hop song we just did. And I got to play Sunny Mae's... Les Paul. Les Paul. Les Paul. No, oh, I just yeah. read a 1959 Les Paul reissue. Well, Wildwood Spec. It's a nice guitar. That. <laughs> so I also recommend people, you can also check out Oliver Sacks has a great book called Musicophilia, which is um, all about the science of music and, and stories and anecdotes about how it's really affected people's lives. There's also This Is Your Brain on Music. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to look up the, t- the author because I do not recall it. And again, we'll put this all in uh, show notes. There is um, there's a group called Music Over Mind with Music Over Mind, which is a nonprofit, and they perform at hospitals for people with mental illness. And there's uh, Music Corps, which uses music um, and teaches music to vets, to um, to vets in hospitals and and uh, by the way, struggling. Yes, we also we're a nonprofit as well. We we have a contract with the Department of Defense. And we have been flown to Miami, Seattle, San Antonio, Las Vegas, Washington, D.C. And we have worked with work with the Wounded Warriors, not the Wounded Warrior Project. But we actually work with Wounded Warriors, specifically through the Air Force. Uh, and we go to these different events, these adaptive sports events. They call them the Warrior Games. And we go to these events. And for two nights, we meet with veterans. They're suffering, if you will, from traumatic brain injuries, amputations. PTSD, and so on. We form a band with them. We write a song, and we perform it at the um, closing ceremonies of the games. And it is life-changing every time. And these are people that uh, we don't have to really convince them to play. They're like, teach me, show me. I have a quick question for those who have special needs, whether, you know, blind, deaf, or hearing struggles and it's too loud. Um, how do you deal with that? I have uh, a, a client at one of my mental health facilities that's a teen, it's uh, called Visions, Visions Adolescent, or Visions Teen Treatment Center. And uh, so I do a, um, a session with them weekly and uh, one of the girls has a, like, volume issues so we write a style of song that is conducive to that we wrote this beautiful like i changed the drum kit to a brush jazz kit they played ukuleles the two i had two kids playing ukulele again i didn't even play an instrument two kids playing ukulele i actually sang with one of the with the girl because i wrote the lyrics she's like i'll sing whatever you want me to sing but i'm not writing i said okay so i write for this girl and we sang together so we we so tune, it's all possible. It really yeah, is possible. Yeah, we tune it to the situation. And sometimes I go, if it's too much for you, I completely understand. And if you need to leave, don't hesitate. Take the shame out of it. 
well, everyone else, you know, I can't even right. consider, I can't even make, like, an, acknowledging what the other thing would be. It's we'll adjust together, and we can and we can do this. And it was it's fantastic. So the Warrior Games is one of the things that we're continuing to do too. That, That's great. Yeah, yeah. I think it's such. A, and so there's, so you know, um, uh, traumatic brain injuries. There's a guy. Uh, we have a um, on our web website. We have a um, about a two minute uh, video that's uh that highlights a trip that Wes and I did to DC and there's a guy who um has a, a traumatic brain injury and he has dissociative amnesia he does not remember anything for the first 34 years of his life oh. but he plays the ukulele oh. and he comes alive and I know right, right now it gets me emotional and he's like it brings me into this moment he goes loud noises stuff like that kind of you know affect me but we and so what we do with him what we did with him is there's 15 of us we're about to jam so how do we get this guy involved how do we get highlighted on him so we started the song with me holding a microphone in front of the ukulele and he just played the chord progression and he played the chord progression and then we cue the rest of the band so he had his moment and then he just and he then he kind of just melts into the band and plays along and then we go through each person would have his guitar so we had four guitarists and I mean, it's insane. Drummers and a little girl, her dad was playing drums, so she was there with him. It's amazing. Sky's the limit. Yeah, it sounds like anything is possible in those sessions. No, I've been saying there's something I have to prove. Keep on going, baby. I know i stop now. I'm about to lose. To the limit, here we go. From the bottom to the top. I just want to thank you for being here and for the work that you're doing. And I mean, as we've already talked about, when I first met you, your energy is infectious. It is engaging. So inspirational. I'm so glad that you are here. And Jess, thank you for coming. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for for having me. Chiming in. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, being and, amongst and like we were talking about, because Jess is uh, getting involved in psychotherapy down in Australia, mm-hmm. a lot of this work that Rock to Recovery does is very much like narrative therapy to creating uh, creating a new story yeah. with everything that you're doing. And music, each song tells a story. And hope, courage. I would encourage hope. I would encourage people to go to our website. I mean, go to our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash rock to recovery or if you're on soundcloud just type in rock to recovery all one word and go there and listen to like the highlights and just know that sure you got a professional musician that's probably playing one instrument or not um, depending on the session but it's all technically non-musicians who wrote an original song together and performed it and recorded it in less than an hour and a half every single song that you hear was written and recorded in under 90 minutes. Amazing. Every single one of them. And sometimes I listen back and I go, that is inc- that's better than <laughs> other songs I've written in my life. You know. It's better than the songs that are on the billboard. Oh, for sure. But yeah, I really encourage people to, to go and check out our SoundCloud page. Sure, some of them are, are not the best, whatever. But, but with 4,500, you can go to the next one. Yeah, and, but go to the highlights, because we ta- we'll, we'll, we'll key in on certain songs that are like, ooh, 
click. And so those are in the Rock to Recovery highlights. And it's so subjective, too, because who says it makes a good sound? Someone might resonate with just the words. Right? Yeah, lyrics, you know, yeah. Someone might go, oh, my God, I love that voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the rhythm. So you can also uh, find Sunny and Wesley and everybody at rocktorecovery.org, as we've already talked about. They're on Twitter at, at rocktorecovery, on Instagram at rocktorecovery. Um, Facebook Rock to Recovery. Mm -hmm. Sunny, you are also individually on Twitter. Sunny underscore Mayo on Instagram. I think I, I, Twitter. I I don't really. You don't really. You don't really tweet. You don't really do that. I don't Instagram. really. I I have a Twitter account. And all my Facebook stuff goes there, but people know that I'm not really doing it. So the, it's just sometimes they'll you know whatever. But Instagram and Facebook are, are where. Yeah, I'm not multi. Social media. Uh, yeah, whatever it would be. That's okay. Multimedia. Who, who's got the time? Uh, so you can find us online as well. Uh, you can find us at drwendyoconnor.com, uh, and that's D-O-C-T-O-R. It's spelled out, dot com. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jenny J.V. Wilson, and that's Jenny with an I. I'm on Instagram at the Preppy Rebel. Uh, and you can find Wendy on her YouTube channel and Twitter at Ask Dr. Wendy. Where else can people can call? You can call, you can write, you can text. 310, what's the 712-1230. Thank you all so much for coming. Oh, my really, pleasure. This was so beautiful. So, Thank you so much for having us. This uh, is your brain on music, Daniel J. Levitin, L-E-V-I-T-I-N. That'll be a... There's also a, a book called The World in Six Songs. Okay. If you want to put that on the side. Right. Yeah. Can we just talk to him for like days? I know. I, You're so interesting. We could just, Fascinating. Oh, we could go. We might have to have you back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So I will have a lot of the things that we've talked about in the show notes. And you can check those out. Links and stuff. So uh, as always, we want to encourage you to be as authentically yourselves as you can possibly stand. And as Wendy always says, stay open. All right. So yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank My you pleasure. Yeah. Enjoy your time here. Are you ready to clap? Thank you. Regardless of someone's relationship to addiction, almost everyone has a relationship with music. The healing properties of music go far beyond sobriety. Music allows us to tell our stories. It shapes our memories and strengthens our commitment to the things that are important to us. How has music impacted you and your loved ones over the years? What are some of the ways music has enriched your work, your life, and your relationships? Let us know at relationshipshowla at gmail.com. For those of you in Los Angeles, we wanted to let you know that Rock to Recovery has a nonprofit event coming up on October 2nd, 2016 at the Henry Fonda Theater. For more information, we encourage you to go to their website, rocktorecovery.org, or visit their Facebook page. And if you can't make it, or if you don't live in LA, you can still go to their webpage and make a donation. That would be rad. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Relationship Show with Dr. Wendy and Miss Jenny. A casual conversation between two friends and colleagues taking serious topics not so seriously. 
Dr. Wendy O'Connor and Jenny J.V. Wilson see clients in private practice in Los Angeles, California, and can be found online at www.doctorwendyoconnor.com and www.jennijvwilson.com. For entertainment purposes only, 